Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. WrestlingInc.com brings you two-faced wrestling talk. The podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Paul. I, I just barely made it. Uh, you know, all, all the trains out of Jersey. It took a little while to get out of WrestleMania, but I, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over a week later, you're yeah, here. <laughs> that's right. That's how slow New Jersey Transit was. Yeah, well, that's how slow it felt when we were waiting a very long time to leave WrestleMania. And we're going to tell you more about that in our second segment of the show. We were there live. We were at shows live in New York and New Jersey throughout Mm -hmm. this past week. And we went to over five shows. I say five shows. We kind of went to four and a half, but we did what we could. (laughs) We'll get into all that later. But we also worked really hard to not only watch all the shows live, but we went back and rewatched a lot of these shows at home just to be able to give you two sets of perspectives, the in-person perspective and the watching at home perspective. So we wanted to represent both sides of the coin, live and at home. Yeah, you want to compare... Uh, there's certain that matches that uh, were probably better in person, and there were certain matches, right off the top of my head, Miz and Shane McMahon, that was probably better on TV than it was in person. So uh, we want to get that perspective, and, and we've rewatched a lot of what we saw up in New York and New Jersey. Yeah, there were some high highs and some really low lows, but anything negative we have, it's all going to be constructive criticism, mm-hmm. not just being negative to be negative. So guys, cut us some slack here. It's always okay to agree to disagree, like we say every week, or specifically like I say every <laughs> week. That's my little motto. But uh, yes, anything negative, it's just going to be very constructive, and I think it's okay sometimes to to have a harsh perspective if it's <laughs> for a good reason. Uh, before we get into the weekend, let's get into uh, your plugs. Uh, had to because we rewatched everything. Had to postpone Kelsey likes this week. Not to mention you weren't feeling well coming back from New York and New Jersey. So uh, tell everyone about your uh, social media and your show that will air next week. It's a peach. it's a peach ball a peach i don't have a cigar in my mouth but that's a seinfeld reference right there um it's all about seinfeld it's called kelsey lake seinfeld and i'm reading this book gonna have a lot of information like basically extra stuff that i researched that will be some interesting tidbits i'm going to give on my show which will be airing live on youtube and periscope 9 30 p.m ct you can find out all the information on that on my twitter at superkingit s-u-p-e-r-k-i-c-k-i-n-g-i-t you can also subscribe to my youtube channel superkicking it with kelsey and that's spelled k-e-l-s-i it should be a lot of fun talking seinfeld i'm gonna tell people 
what my favorite episodes are, and I'm going to give a list of a couple of other people's favorite episodes, including you, and I'm trying to get uh, Brian Malonis's favorite episodes, as well as Mike Crockett. They are the co-hosts of the wrestling podcast About Nothing, and we'll talk about them a little bit more when we talk about G1 Supercard, but uh, please look to my Twitter for more updates on that. Sorry I had to cancel, but New York and New Jersey messed me up. <laughs> yeah, your voice still isn't 100%, but... Uh... Should be good enough to plug through the show, and uh, let's get to it. Yep, uh, it's been a long week, let's just say. We went through a lot of shows like we referenced, but I think my favorite was G1 Supercard. And if you want, before we start there, let's talk about our favorite matches of all the shows we went to. So, let's talk about your favorite matches. What are your favorites? Uh, I'll go top five, even though that's hard to do. Uh, Number five, I'm going to say Kofi versus Daniel Bryan, although, to be fair, I don't even think it was their best matchup ever. Uh, I'll talk more about that when we get to WrestleMania. Uh, Number four, Okada versus Jay White. Uh, Number three, Ibushi versus Naito. Number two, I'm going to say from uh, the WrestleCon uh, Rev Pro show, Suzuki and Sabre versus Osprey and Tanahashi. And number one for me, the War Raiders versus Ricochet and Black. Any honorable mentions? Uh, boy, I mean, I could list off 20 honorable mentions. Certainly, uh, Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb, for sure. Uh, Ospreay and Bandito, I think, was certainly really good. Boy, I mean, you, you could just go right down the list. So many of those matches from G1 Supercard. So many from, uh, NXT TakeOver. It really was a fun weekend. It's hard to, uh, Narrow it down. It is hard to narrow it down, and that brings me to my top list, which was very difficult to put together. (laughs) Number five, Matt Riddle versus Velveteen Dream. I really liked that match, although no one was cheering for my boy, my bro. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was a little disappointing, but Velveteen Dream is so over and so charismatic, and we'll talk all about that in our second block when we talk WWE-related shows. Number four, Will Ospreay versus Bandito. It made my list because it was a great match, and also it had some post-match things that I really enjoyed, including a Will Ospreay speech I thought was wonderful. Number three, Jay White versus Okada. That was awesome. The pop was insane for Okada. We'll get into that match in a little while. Number two, the Ring of Honor ladder match. A lot of people are not giving this love. I think it's because people don't really like Taven as a character. I love Taven both as a character and a wrestler, I think he really stepped up and shined in this match. And I think all the participants in the match were great. Again, we're going to break this down in just a few minutes. And number one. This was a hard one, but also easy at the same time. Because this match was so good. And I thought at first, when I saw it in person, this could be my favorite. But then I said, I have to rewatch it. And I was doubting myself, like, when I rewatch it, will it be number one? But yep, it was. It was that good. Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr., Versus Tanahashi and Will Ospreay. This match blew my mind. So many great facial reactions by Suzuki. It might be his best facials of the year. <laughs> A-plus reactions throughout the whole match. It was just hard-hitting. It had everything you could want in a match. Fun stuff. Wrestling. Like, wrestling wrestling. And spots as well that were impressive and fun. Like, Osprey just does his impressive high-flying in that match as well. I've got some honorable mentions too, though. I would say uh, I really liked... Baszler versus Io versus Kyrie versus Belair. I think that was the best women's match of the whole weekend, and we'll explain why later. I really enjoyed Bandito versus Ishimori versus Dragon Lee. 
from G1 Supercard. Thought that was a great three-way match. Yeah. And the result was unexpected, too. And then also, of course, I loved Osprey versus Cobb, which was one of the most anticipated matches for me from G1 Supercard, and it really, really delivered. All right, those are our top matches. How about some top moments? All right, my top moments. Number five, PCO rising up after he had been thrown off the top rope by G.O.D. That just looked crazy, and the crowd went wild in person to see that. It really looked like a wicked spot, and watching it afterwards, they cut it perfectly on the camera, and they switched it perfectly in the director's booth. I really liked how it was done. Number four was Okada's immense pop when he came out, and also when he won. So both pops for when they saw him at first, and then when he finally won back the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Really, I wasn't expecting him to win, and I'm glad he did, though, because that reaction was awesome, and something I'll remember forever. Seeing Suzuki live is my third top moment, because I've seen him live before, but every time is special to me, and he's my favorite wrestler, so of course I'm going to enjoy seeing him and getting to sing Kazaninere, <laughs> which sounds terrible in my hurt voice, but you get the picture. Number two, Kurt Angle retiring. A lot of people don't know. Kurt Angle is actually my favorite wrestler of all time. People talk about current favorites and all-time favorites. Kurt Angle really is my all-time favorite. And a lot of people will ask you, are you a Beatles person or a Stones person? Both. (laughs) You can be both, but you got to have a preference a lot of times. A lot of people do have a preference. I'm a Beatles person. And if people are asking me, are you a Shawn Michaels person or a Kurt Angle I would say I'm a Kurt Angle person for sure. He's my number one, and to see him retire, that was emotional for me. I I teared up, and even when we rewatched it the second time, although I already knew what happened, I, I teared up then too. And then another moment that made me tear up, very similar to the Kurt Angle moment, was Kofi winning. I thought that was really special, and something I'll never forget because the crowd was very, very happy. There was people all over crying. You were tearing up. People getting really emotional and really invested in that moment he had with his kids in the ring. Very special. Can't say enough about that. Some honorable mentions. Yanu joining the commentary team. And they just freak out because they're so excited to have him on commentary. Liger getting two huge pops over two different shows. One at WrestleCon and one, of course, at G1 Supercards. And Gargano winning, that was an awesome pop, uh, the Adam Cole pop when he said, Adam Cole, baby, and seeing Batista's entrance live for his last match. I think that was special for me. I'm a big Batista fan. I don't care what you guys say. He didn't get a lot of reaction, but I still enjoyed seeing him. And he actually did his little machine gun thing in sync. Yeah. And you were saying that you doubted he would do it with the pyro and with the music in sync, but he did. <laughs> uh, I have some of the same MV or uh, moments as well. Obviously, Kofi Kingston shines out probably as the moment of the weekend for me because, uh, you know, it was well placed in the show. We thought maybe it was early, but because the energy level started to wane in the stadium, it actually was perfect because it was an eruption and uh, certainly emotional. Johnny Gargano winning at NXT was a great moment, I thought. Uh, Back to WrestleMania, 80,000 people screaming, burn it down. When Seth Rollins came out, I thought that was awesome. The Okada moment and uh, Kurt Angle. Uh, Again, there are so many moments. It's it's such an iconic weekend, and there are so many great things that happened. But uh, those are some of the obvious ones, I think. Something missing from our top moments is Becky winning, And that's because we thought the pop would be a lot 
bigger than it was and we were surprised how kind of subdued it actually seemed i know on tv it came off a lot better Mm -hmm. but where we were people just wanted to get out in fact after she left people were kind of pouring out for a minute and even after the entrances actually before the match even got started some people were leaving and actually looking back those people were kind of (laughs) smart because they were not stuck for hours after the show yeah i was really expecting an explosion of sound when becky won and it i think part of it was because of the ending being a little clunky but yeah, I mean, look, there were there were people in our aisle that as soon as they saw all the entrances and saw about a minute of action so they could say they saw it, they got out of there to beat the trains getting out of there. Plus, it was just such a long night. So uh, that moment could have been a lot more special, kind of like Kofi's, although, you know, not quite the lifetime achievement that Kofi's was. So it wasn't nearly as awesome as I thought it was going to be. It was uh, it was still loud, but just not the way we thought, like you just said. Okay, wrap up our favorites with our WrestleMania Week MVPs. And this includes, you know, all the shows we went to, not just WrestleMania. It's WrestleMania Week. So every show we saw, who are your MVPs? Uh, I'm, I'll just pick one. Uh, Will Ospreay, even though he went one and two in the shows we saw, he was such a dynamic performer and uh, had some really great moments and, I thought I just thought you know it just further further solidified why he's one of my top two in the world right now because he did it different ways like he always does and was very entertaining. Speaking of your top two, my top two similar to yours are part of my MVP list: Osprey, Suzuki. Both of them had great matches throughout the weekend, especially Osprey, like you referenced. He just no matter what he's involved in, he gives it his all. Every match he's in seems like it's the main event. Even when that Suzuki tag match, it felt like a main event to me, and he acted like it was, even though it was in the middle of the show, technically. And to me, I don't know, he just gives all of his effort and puts his body on the line for us, and I I really respect that about him. Like I said, Suzuki, just because he had some awesome entrances and he always delivers in matches, especially he has a little bit of an American flair, I think, when he visits here. He acts a little bit different than he does when he's in Japan. He, He has a little bit different mannerisms. I feel like he's more expressive with his face yes you see a lot of expressions in japan but i think he plays around with the crowd a little bit almost plays to the crowd a little bit more when he's in america like when he was brushing tanahashi's hair to the side just little things he definitely just made his little evil laugh face a lot more in his match against osprey like 10 times in that match so i think he just is way more amped up and a little more different when he's wrestling in America and I like that Bandito and Liger or other people Black and Ricochet how many times have they wrestled they're wrestling every night for WWE I feel bad for them because they must be darn tired <laughs> yeah the, no two guys must be more excited about the superstar shakeup coming next week than those guys that they'll actually be on one show at least they hope and uh finally another MVP of mine Gargano because I think he was just incredible and he had an awesome moment well-deserved Always a five-star wrestler. I mean, can he even have a bad match? I don't think so. All right, so that's our accolades. Now let's get through the meat of the week. It's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for headlines. And we're going to start with G1 Supercard. And quickly, we'll start with pre-show and talk about uh, some legends that showed up on the G1 Supercard uh, pre-show. But also, you mentioned Suzuki being one of your MVPs. He had a long performance in that Honor Rumble, and he had a great pop when he entered the ring. 
he really did, and I was like, I can't believe they didn't give him a singles match, but he did well in the Honor Rumble. Love to see him. Everyone's saying Kaza Ninare. I heard on the New Japan broadcast they didn't play his music because of international rights, but they play it when they broadcast his matches from Japan, so I find that very odd, but that's what I heard secondhand from Twitter. We watched it on Ring of Honor, um, but we didn't watch the Honor Rumble again. That was on Facebook, apparently, so right. we didn't see that that didn't have the music playing, which was very odd, but awesome in person to see people chant Kazani Nare, a whole building, basically 20,000 people singing it all at the same time. Awesome. Another person I thought was great was, of course, Liger. Like I mentioned in my MVPs, he got a huge pop. And rightfully so, he's a legend. And another legend you referenced came down. Yeah, Muda comes into the match, and my buddy uh, says to me, I wasn't even going to watch the Honor Rumble, but once I heard Muda was in it, and he was one of my favorites, I went back and watched, he said. So uh, it came down to Liger and Muda, we thought, and then Kenny King rolls in and eliminates both, and I know the crowd was upset that one of the legends didn't win it there, but it made sense for Kenny King to win it. Yeah, because he's a part of Ring of Honor. It's going to make sense for his character going forward in Ring of Honor as a promotion. But the crowd was still left with a feel-good moment when Liger and Muda came back and basically got rid of Kenny King. (laughs) So they didn't win, but they still got their revenge. And I like that a lot. Another thing about the Honor Rumble, Brian Malonis, he's one of my favorites ever. Him and Beer City Bruiser had some awesome spots in the Honor Rumble. And actually, if you want to find out about Brian's personal experience and how much it meant to him being in the garden, go check out at the WPAN. They've got a podcast. It's called The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. Their quick episode from last week, it's only about 11 minutes long. It's their right-away reaction of Brian's feelings of wrestling in the garden. And he said it meant a lot to him. You know, Liger is a hero of his, and he loved wrestling against him. And actually, he squared up with Bad Luck Fale, who we got to interview live after G1 Supercard right outside the garden. Yeah, we did a uh, podcast, which you can find on Wrestling Inc.'s uh, website. It was our instant reaction to the G1 Supercard from uh, Penzi, a bar right outside Madison Square Garden. And Fale was there and was kind enough to join us. Even though, as he as he sat down, his first words to us are, what the hell do you guys want? It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to talk to you. That's what we want. And he was so fun. He was smoking a cigar. I actually wonder if it was Beer City Bruiser's cigar, because in the garden, before the show, they were running a promo for a cigar shop. It was called Martinez Cigars. And apparently, Beer City Bruiser had his own cigars made there. They're called the Beer City Bruiser Cigar, and we actually bought some, and I think Fale was smoking a cigar when we approached him. I saw on his Twitter that he was buying a Beer City Bruiser Cigar, so it could have been that cigar. Could have been, could have been, but he was uh, awesome to join us, and that was our instant reaction right after G1 Supercard. Make sure you check it out, but now we've had more time to process everything, and we'll Run through the show a little bit. We'll start with the match they started the show with. And boy, what a match. It could have easily been in my top five. Cobb and Osprey. So many great spots in this match. And it was just so entertaining. I loved it. And I think the ending is one of my favorite parts where... 
Cobb does the tour of the islands off the top. Oh, my God, oh my God that was inc- incredible. And then he had to do it again, of course, once they got down in the ring. He had to do two in a row to put Will Ospreay away. At least, like, that it took more to put Ospreay away than just one. But at the same time, I'm just very surprised Ospreay lost his belt. Although he's been on a losing streak, it's like he was doing such great things with the Never Openweight title, and he was making the belt mean something again. And he was showing that he could hang with the heavyweights, so it was a very surprising result to me, but great for Cobb, and he's been a favorite of ours. We loved him in PWG, so props to him. Great match. Really just exciting from the time that the bell rang to the end. Yeah, we loved Cobb in PWG. In fact, uh, there was a move that reminded us of PWG, not something that he did, but more something Keith Lee did to Matt Riddle, but it was very similar to start the match when Cobb shoulder-blocked Osprey and sent him two-thirds of the way across the ring. Uh, there was quite the gasp from the crowd. Uh, it was visually impressive. And a great win for Jeff Cobb. Uh, you know Osprey's going to be back in the picture, and we've mentioned Osprey and Suzuki. Maybe we get a payoff of them going against each other down the road. I'm hoping so. A one-on-one in Rev Pro or New Japan Pro Wrestling, wherever, I don't care. I just want to see it happen. Yeah, I guess Jeff Cobb now will have to uh, do battle with Tai Chi because they were setting up a, a Tai Chi Osprey, so maybe Cobb will be going against Tai Chi down the road here. All I got to say is Tai Chi better not flip and win <laughs> that matchup against Jeff Cobb. Although Tai Chi is having a great year in terms of character change and amping up his wrestling and stuff, but still, flipping Tai Chi. Come on, you can't win. All right, now we're going to go through uh, the part of the show that uh, I know people on social media kind of complained about because it was three matches in a row that I guess people weren't overly excited about, but... You know, they, they were still significant parts of the show, and we'll start with Castle and Roosh, and uh, Dalton Castle had a spectacular entrance. It was uh, very entertaining with all the extra boys and the handmade uh, peacock feathers, but his uh, entrance was longer than his actual performance in the match as uh, Roosh eliminates him with three quick uh, flying drop kicks in the corner. We were surprised how quick it was. Kind of disappointed. I know you were like, why... Why even put him on G1 Supercard to have him basically in a squash match? Well, you were speculating that he could be injured. However, I just, I don't even know if that's true or not because he has wrestled on and off these past few months and he's a Ring of Honor champion. So to have your champion, your former champion, lose so quickly, I know they're trying to build up Roosh, but I just thought it could have been a little longer and less like a traditional squash match because Castle is a former champion and he's someone to contend with, someone who has been in the title picture for a while. However, if this is something that facilitates a character change, I'm all for it. Like, you know, the boys technically distracted him so that he did lose, Mm -hmm. and then he turned on the boys after the match. So is this a more heelish, darker Dalton Castle? If so, I mean, that might be interesting. Him versus the boys maybe would be interesting, However, you know, I loved him and the boys, and as I said as we were watching the show, you know, Dalton Castle always says, you don't ever mess with another man's boys, but I guess that doesn't apply to him. (laughs) He can mess with his own boys, so it's okay if you're messing with your own boys, you just can't mess with someone else's boys, apparently. Well, that's one of those stories, too. It's inevitable that at some point he goes against the boys, and that'll be great for an instant payoff, but uh, the boys are so entertaining. I hope that doesn't mean they kind of 
fall by the wayside. Maybe they have a, a showdown and then he forgives the boys down the road. That's what I'm hoping for <laughs> as well because I'd love to see the showdown, but I love them working all together too at the same time. So yeah, great for Rouge. He looks awesome there, but as we said, it wasn't necessarily clean in the fact that Castle was distracted, so there's a little bit of an excuse there that works out. But in terms of his entrance, he tweeted, How could anyone think Triple H's spooky car is better than my peacock thingamajiggy, whatever you might call it? He said something to that effect on his Twitter, saying that his entrance was better than Triple H's. Kelly Klein beats Iwatami in the uh, Ring of Honor Women's Championship match. Then it was Bully Ray's Open Challenge. He eliminated Juice seemingly backstage before the match, but Flip Gordon reappears. And then it ends up being a six-man tag. And at one point, Flip Gordon is daring uh, Silas and Shane and Bully Ray to hit him with the kendo, which was just kind of a b- brutal spot in the in the way that uh, Flip Gordon's back ended up looking. But uh, that was an entertaining match, I guess. You know, Flip, Juice, and Haskins end up winning. But uh, Bully Ray ends up being more significant a little later in the show, which we'll talk about. But that all started with one of your favorite moments where he confronts the rapper. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. So the rapper comes out. Everyone's booing him. I felt so bad for him because he did make a custom song that everyone hates. But although people hated it, it was stuck in your head. Oh, it's catchy. (laughs) And then because of you getting it stuck in your head somehow it got stuck in my head because you were like it's stuck in my head and then you started humming it and singing it and i was like damn it now it's stuck in my head so the part that stuck in your head was going to the garden <laughs> going to the garden <laughs> my, my part was going to the garden <laughs> going to the garden <laughs> <laughs> of course that's just like the breakdown part and that's not even like the real words but the breakdown was catchy at least and that was funny, and people were asking Bully Ray, put him through a table. Yeah, yeah. They, they wanted him to F him up. Yep, yep. And and Bully even said, I, I don't know if you hear, there's 20,000 people that want me to uh, beat you up right now. So. It was awesome. But uh, going back to that match, people didn't like the kendo squaring off where they all looked like they were battling with swords or lightsabers. I don't know why people didn't like it. I know that people are kind of down on Ring of Honor as a whole, because they don't like the booking, and they don't think it's as strong as New Japan Pro Wrestling. And in fact, it did seem like a very pro-New Japan crowd versus a Ring of Honor crowd. And we'll even talk more about that in a second. But, you know, I love Ring of Honor. I've supported them a lot. The only thing I won't support is if Enzo and Cass are really joining the company. I don't really like that. I think it's cheap, but we'll talk about that in a second. Overall, though, Ring of Honor has always bounced back after talent leaving, and it's a shame that they didn't like the Ring of Honor matches, and I know they were expecting, like, five-star matches all around, but if you're expecting G1 Supercard to have been NXT TakeOver, it's an unfair comparison because NXT TakeOver was a lot tighter of a show with only five matches on the card, and every match had the luxury of being able to have a lot of time and to literally be featured as a main part of the card. This show wasn't like that. You had so many more matches, and you could only do so much. When you're at a five-hour show, as opposed to a three-hour-plus show, you can't be firing on all cylinders 
every minute of the show. You know what I mean? Every match on the card can't be a main event quality match. You've got to have some ebbs and flows. You've got to have some points where the audience can chill out. You've got to have some fun stuff, which I thought the kendo spot was fun. I thought that match had everything. It had some street fight type of stuff, some crazy spots, some things that made you cringe with the kendos, and then some funny stuff that you laughed at. Like I said, the, the kendo spot where it looked like lightsaber battle. You know, it, it had all of that, and some previous stuff, like the castle thing, it had the awesome entrance, and the weird stuff with the boys, the character things, but it was a quick match. In terms of match quality, it wasn't, like, the highest match quality, but it still was something. Like I said, ebbs and flows, that's what a show, especially a longer show, is all about. And, uh, look, we're huge Ring of Honor fans. I, I'm, I've been watching Ring of Honor for a long time, probably, I, I mean, I would... There's no doubt it's the second longest promotion behind WWE that I've watched. And, you know, it has its warts. It's not perfect. In fact, a buddy of mine who intermittently watches Ring of Honor but watched much of the G1 Supercard said watching G1 Supercard shows how much work Ring of Honor's weekly television needs because it it looked and felt so like a different promotion altogether because it was so big and some of those ring of honor tv shows as we've talked about in the past aren't in the 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 best venues and and you know they tape things for weeks in advance so hopefully this is maybe even a springboard for ring of honor because i thought again like you said even the matches that people weren't overly excited about i still thought it was a really strong show and i thought their their broadcast was for the most part pretty strong we know sometimes it can be iffy but i thought you know all the rotating broadcasters they had in you know they had a little issue with the audio a little bit where sometimes it's the announcers seemed like they were screaming and you couldn't hear the crowd noise as much and then there were other times where it seemed a little low and then you go to turn it up and then kevin kelly would scream and you'd be like oh so you couldn't it's a, you certainly couldn't fall asleep or anything to that match because if you had the sound at one level it certainly woke you up but I thought it was a good show, and uh, now we're going to get to kind of the meat of the show as things moved along. Dragon Lee versus Ishimori versus Bandito for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Three promotions represented there, and this was uh, one of your matches of the weekend. Yeah, it was an honorable mention. Yeah, it was one of my honorable mentions, and so technically it did make my list in a way, (laughs) but uh, I loved it. I thought it was so well done. From the moment the bell rang, it was insanely paced, so fast-paced, crazy moves. I mean, Bandito, that move that just shocked everyone in the whole place. Talk about his his slam, basically, of the two guys from the top. He's... Look, he's quickly becoming one of my favorites. Great signing for Ring of Honor. And uh, as we'll talk about, you know, we also saw him at WrestleCon Super Show and his age was brought up. But he's just so amazing. But, you know, he's not just a high flyer. He's so strong. And he scoops up the other two on the top rope and does like an avalanche throwaway slam where he throws them but still manages to flip over and land on them as well. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen that move ever before, but I know I had a reaction, as did uh, much of the crowd at Madison Square Garden. It was like, holy cow. I thought he was going to win right there. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised at who did win, which was Dragon Lee, because, you know, belts had changed hands a lot 
before this match. I mean, the Klein match, she won the title. Cobb winning the title from Osprey. So another title changing hands here. I thought, if anything, Ishimori would just retain. But no, I, I'm really surprised by Dragon Lee. I love Dragon Lee. I'm happy for it. But I want to see Bandito with a belt soon because, man, he deserves it. He's an incredible athlete. And I think he's going to be the top guy in Ring of Honor for 2019. Yeah, he very well could be. Let's move on to uh, our next match was the uh, four-way tag team match, the Briscoes versus G.O.D. versus Sonata versus Evil, or Sonata and Evil versus PCO and Brody King. And we'll get to the ending of the match, which a lot of people are talking about. But let's start at the beginning of the match and the entrances. I was a little disappointed in in the PCO entrance, not in what it was because I thought it was pretty cool, but the execution of it. Instead of having him climb up into the chair and then get the battery, you know, shocking him back to life kind of thing, he sh- he should have, they should have just had the chair on wheels behind a curtain and had it, rolled him out there and had him already in the chair. It was just kind of weird to have him climb up into the chair and have to be brought back to life. It was just kind of clunky but you mentioned it didn't seem as bad on tv as it did in person it's funny so before we got to rewatch the show when we were doing our live post-show podcast at penzi our friend dave he told me yeah the pco entrance took too long and it did because in person actually it felt like five times as long as when i went back and we finally rewatched it so when you rewatch it at least they could cut away from the stage for a second or two or at least cut to the audience, you know, they, they cut around and they didn't just focus on the stage the whole time. Whereas us as the audience, we're literally looking at the stage and the guy setting it up the entire time. Another crazy thing, man, I'm so surprised by the lack of reaction by the crowd for the Briscoes. And the Briscoes at least could have been booed. I thought at least a chorus of boos would rain down for them, and that would at least been some reaction. But instead, no cheers, no boos, almost silence for them boys. Why? I don't know, because they're two of my favorites ever. They're probably one of my fa- favorite tag teams, period. And I- I'm just flabbergasted, honestly, because, you know, they're a huge part of Ring of Honor, and I think that's just a testament to how the crowd really wasn't a pro Ring of Honor crowd. They were more a pro New Japan crowd, because if you're a Ring of Honor fan, the Briscoes are basically part of the foundation of Ring of Honor. They were there at the beginning, and so I was excited for them to be in this match to get their moment at the Garden, and yet no reaction. At least booze would have been something instead of nothing. So that was a disappointment for me, personally. Yeah, I was was really surprised by that. Uh, I thought there would be some sort of reaction. If you're wondering what shirt I was wearing, I was wearing my Briscoe shirt. (laughs) So I, I was repping them boys, but nobody else was. Let's get to the match, and... You know, I mentioned the Bandito spot being one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Another one of the craziest things I've ever seen happened in this in this match where G.O.D. tosses P.C.O. over the top rope. No, you know, cushioning the blow straight onto his back onto the floor. I was flabbergasted. It was it was a I gasped audibly like I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And then. You know, you watch it on TV, and it was perfectly shot. It really was. And edited. When he rose up, it was like he was Frankenstein's monster. Just like, like that's what they were going for. So it was perfect thematically for his character, for the match. 
it was something that I had never seen, just like you, and the crowd went wild. God, they just went ape, you know what. They, they went insane, and so did we. It was really, really well done. That's why it made my top moments <laughs> list, because it was just a powerful spot. I thought it was a really good match, but it was the kind of match, and we felt the same way about the SmackDown tag team match on WrestleMania. It was really good, but it felt like it could have been longer and better. But in the end, G.O.D. gets the victory with a gun stun. And, uh, you know, then things happened after the match, which uh, took away from the match itself and really, in some ways, took away from the show itself. It really did. And before we get into the post-match drama, I just want to say this was a match that people were saying they were most looking forward to. When people were pitting this against the TakeOver match, people were saying they were looking forward to this match more because of all the people involved everyone loves these guys and so do I and I thought this match was going to be maybe the show stealer but it really wasn't and I think that's because it just wasn't as long as it could have been I still enjoyed it but yeah I was just expecting it to go a while longer and what ended up happening is instead of people talking about this match they talked about what happened afterwards with Enzo and Cass jumping the barricade we still don't know 100% if it's a work or not Bully Ray claiming on Busted Open Radio apparently that it wasn't a work that he's very upset with Enzo and Cass you know that could be just character that could be just him saying that and part of the storyline. We've seen stuff on Twitter with Enzo and Cass working together. Cass is being called Cass XL, and Enzo is N-Z-O instead of Enzo with an E. So they, they did a little promo, basically promoting t-shirts mm-hmm. on Twitter, and that just happened like a day or two ago. So that's kind of odd. Nothing mentioned on the Briscoes' Twitter. That's not unusual because they don't tweet very much. I wasn't expecting there to be anything anyway. Bully Ray, nothing on Twitter. You know, just apparently what he said on Busted Open Radio, with which our friend listens to and told us about. Um, other than that, you know, Ring of Honor not saying anything. Although originally, right after it happened, they did retweet a fan video of it. But then, subsequently, they deleted that tweet. So I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know because the punches seemed real. Well, and there are two perspectives in watching this, too. As we're sitting there at, at Madison Square Garden, this occurred on the other side of the ring from us. And so G.O.D. wins the match, and then you notice some a scuffle going on on the other side. And, you know, I thought it was just the Briscoes and maybe Sonata and Evil or whatever. And then you see en- Enzo's hair, and I'm like, oh, my God. That's Enzo. And then you see Big Cass. And I fully expected it was a work. And the way that Bully Ray came running down right, like, so quickly makes me believe it was a work. But then they legitimately looked like they wanted to beat the hell out of Enzo. Like, Bully Ray looked like he was going to town on Enzo. And then you noticed that as Bully, when we went back and watched it on TV, as Bully Ray is working on no, Enzo. Not on TV, because you can't see it on TV. You can kind of see it. Oh, yeah. It. I'm sorry. Fan video. We watched like five or six fan videos, different angles, different, you know, amounts of space away from the, the scuffle. There's some that are very close up. In this very particular close up one, you could see Cass just wailing on Bully Ray. And I mean, it looked real. Like he was pounding Bully Ray's back. And then he pulled Bully Ray's shirt up, and basically Bully Ray's undershirt was showing, and Bully Ray was trying to wail back on him and fell over, basically onto the, the floor. So that all seemed real. And then Jay was trying to help 
bully at that moment, but then he sees Mark getting cornered by Enzo and goes over to help Mark. And again, it's hard to see because there's a point also in one of the fan videos you could see security trying, not very forcefully, to get them to leave, but then they just jump right back over the barricades and they continue on. And so to me, that part is like, well, it must be a work then because security would be out there, real security, trying to get them out of there. Other wrestlers maybe would have came down, but there was also a lot of confusion. I mean, uh, Tiger Hattori, who was refing the match, he looked confused. Poor guy, apparently it was one of his farewell matches. I think he's retiring soon, so to have that be your last match and all that confusion, very odd. And, um, you know, even Tomatonga was confused, and we saw that on the broadcast. Yeah, so the, the broadcasters were confused, the commentators that's, as well. That's the second perspective, right, is the TV where they didn't show it at all. In fact, they purposely seemed to cut to cameras that weren't even, like, squared up or ready. They were purposely not trying to show it. The announcers were clearly trying to avoid talking about it, although Colt almost did a couple times, but you could tell somebody was talking in his ear, like, you know, don't even address it. So from that perspective, it didn't feel like a work because there seemed to be so much confusion. E- even in the broadcast, uh, Yanu, at the end of the match, has G.O.D.'s belt. We didn't even notice that occurring live because all of our attention was on Enzo and Cass. And as you watch the broadcast, Tiger Atori had to tell G.O.D. to look up the ramp that they're supposed to be paying attention to Yanu making way with their belts. But they were distracted by what was going on down to their left. So all of that was confusing. And then, of course, Tomatonga went off in the post-game press uh, conference. God, Tomatonga just rips apart Ring of Honor, throws the Ring of Honor tag belts against the wall, calls them garbage, says, you know what, this tells me you saved all your energy for after the match. You know, this is typical Ring of Honor booking. He also tweeted that, you know, typical Ring of Honor booking that, uh, the losers of our match get jumped after the show. Great job, Ring of Honor. <laughs> you know, he just is ripping apart the whole thing. So if it is a work, he's playing into it and sure is angry about it. And if it's not a work, then they really did cause a huge distraction. But again, like, why the Briscoes? Why bully? Why only them? Yeah. I, I don't know. So that plays into the fact that it could be a work. People like Voices of Wrestling, they on Twitter are tweeting out, right after they tweeted out, this is a work. It's from the higher-ups. A lot of the lower people didn't know, uh, but the higher-ups wanted it to happen. If that's true, that's crazy. I, I don't know. I have to read more about it. But it's very quiet on social media on what this actually is. Yeah. And a lot of people have said, I'm done with Ring of Honor if they use Enzo and Cass. Look, I'm not a big Enzo and Cass fan, but they are ultimate heels right now. So in that regard, they would get a ton of heat and some eyeballs on Ring of Honor. You can argue maybe that's not the kind of attention Ring of Honor wants. No, like I said, I'm going to use the word again, cheap. I love Ring of Honor more than anybody. People have told me, my good friend Anthony from Smart to Death has told me, you know, when he thinks of Ring of Honor and people who cover Ring of Honor, he thinks of me. Because not a lot of people do. I know uh, someone on Twitter who's very prominent, Anne Marie, she loves Ring of Honor. Even she, I saw, tweeted out the other day, seeing lots of talk that Enzo and Cass was a work. <sighs> it's been fun. Meaning, she doesn't want to support. I mean, she's one of the biggest Ring of Honor proponents besides me. I can only think of her and me, besides right. anybody else in the podcasting world, who are really true pro Ring of Honor fans. So even her, she is saying, yeah, I'm 
I'm not a fan of this. And neither am I, but I'm still going to support Ring of Honor because I, I really have faith in the company, hoping they don't really work with them. If they do, they'll be monster heels, but I just think it's cheap. Why go that direction with, like, shady people? I, I don't know. I don't know. Ugh, I don't know. So that kind of took away from the next match, uh, Saber and Tanahashi, because, you know, in the arena, people are looking at their phones, trying to figure out what the Senzo and Cass thing is. I know you were distracted, and so probably didn't pay as much attention to the Saber and Tanahashi match, and we that's one we definitely had to watch back on TV uh, with Zack Sabre getting the win, but huge pops for Tanahashi. Yeah, I mean, of course, he's the ace of New Japan, and that's what rang down in the garden. Go, ace! And it was really loud, actually. Zack Sabre Jr. did get cheered when he won, though. Um, lots of chants, oh, Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> I love that chant so much. It was great to hear it multiple times during the weekend. But yeah, the match itself, in person, I did not pay attention at all. I gotta admit... I'm being 100% truthful here. I was absorbed in my phone trying to figure out that Enzo and cast of people were messaging me, Kelsey, what the heck? What's happening over there? Because on TV, like we said, as we rewatched it later, we found out it wasn't really shown. People thought that there was a scuffle in the audience. They didn't know it was Enzo and cast because no one mentioned them by name. I mean, like you referenced, Colt was like, who? Like, what's happening? You're kidding me. <laughs> so, so you really didn't reference any names, and nobody did. Kevin Kelly shrugged it off. So, again, I was just in my phone talking about that, unfortunately, and I, I totally missed this match. Let's move to the last three matches. Each of us have two of these three in our top five for the weekend. This one was in my top five. I think I had it at number three, I think. Uh, Naito and Ibushi. The crowd pops for both of these guys was insane. <laughs> When Abushi came out, I thought to myself, there's no way Naito's pop is bigger than this. But then Naito comes out and it is bigger. People are chanting, you know, Naito, Naito, 20,000 strong. It was awesome. He was so over. Just a match between two guys that everyone loves. How could it be be bad? And we speculated during the New Japan Cup that they were going to have the tournament-stealing match back then. They didn't because it was a little tease of what we were getting Basically what we got at G1 Supercard, and boy did it deliver when we got that longer match finally. Yeah, some really great moments in this match. Early on, Naito goes to throw Ibushi into the barricade, uh, but standing in his way was the guy rolling the cable for the broadcast, and so Ibushi is launched into him, and kind of a funny exchange because Naito looks like he's upset that the cable guy was in his way. The cable guy looks like he wants to bow up to Naito, it was kind of funny. You know what it reminds me of? Cable Boy, what have you done to my little Cable Boy? <laughs> it's another Seinfeld reference. You'll hear more about that on next Wednesday on Kelsey Likes. <laughs> but yeah, he tried to kind of square up against Naito, but then some other backstage guy pulled him aside and he looked like he was all sad. He, <laughs> he was lowering his head like, okay, I'll get out the way. <laughs> and later, uh, Naito tries to shake his hand. Uh, it was a kind of funny point in the match, but there was also, as you can imagine, amazing action in the ring. The Ibushi Hurricane Rana off of the apron, getting Naito down on the floor was so awesome. The height that Ibushi had on it. Yeah, and you know, we talk about Okada's dropkick being nice. Ibushi has a nice dropkick too, and we saw that. You know, just everything he does is so beautiful. Or really, there's nothing 
else really that you can say to describe his moveset. It's very fluid. I'm not even a big Ibushi fan, but no. I gotta admit, his moves are pretty, okay? I'll admit <laughs> it. I'm a Naito fan, so the, the result wasn't what I wanted, but it was a special reaction for sure when he won. The crowd went insane. Well, speaking of reactions, uh, and you were among these, when Naito hit Destino, the roar of the crowd at MSG was awesome. Destino! It was great. Um, yeah, people were going insane, and I thought Naito might have had it right there, although I know in many matches it takes more than one Destino to put his opponent away, so I wasn't 100% sure that he would win right there, but I thought it could happen, but yeah, it really made sense that it was Ibushi's time finally to get one over on Naito, and now we see him with the prestigious IC belt, and what will he do with that belt, how will his run be, I'm sure it will be prestigious and historic, I'm hoping for a longer run, because that way the belt... Just has a really nice, uh, elevated run with Ibushi. Yeah, and Ibushi. And vice versa. Yeah, no, Ibushi is definitely over, and the crowd was uh, hot for him winning that belt. Let's move on to the Ring of Honor three-way match, ladder match, Taven, Lethal, and Skrull. One of your best matches of the weekend. It's just outside. It's an honorable mention for me. Such a great match, and so many great elements to this, starting with the uh, introductions you know, as much as I hate the whoop whoop, you know, <laughs> the crowd going nuts for Skrull coming in. Matt Taven introduced being from Boston. And of course, the New York crowd boos him. He should have walked in a Red Sox jersey. That would have even topped it off. And then, of course, Jay Lethal being close to home. And, you know, we've talked about it for weeks. So many built-in storylines with this, the storyline of Lethal and Taven. Yeah, the storyline has been built up so long. And when we talk about NXT later, I think NXT overall had higher quality matches in terms of, you know, more of the matches on the show being high quality. But that's because they only had five matches as opposed to this one, which had a lot more and it was a lot longer too. But something that I think G1 had over NXT TakeOver was more story built in. The most strong argument you can make against my statement is that Gargano has been going after the title and should have gotten the title a long time ago. So Gargano's story going after the title is pretty long. The only thing that's comparable, in my opinion, to the story of Taven and Lethal. But I feel like the Taven and Lethal story is even much longer than that because they've had this hatred building up for like over a year now and it's been so well done. We saw the awesome match at ROH 17, which people thought was too long, but I thought it was great. And I thought this match was great and isn't getting its due props really. It was uh, great. There were so many great spots in this. I mean, Jay Lethal building the ladder bridge outside. Taven took some great uh, bumps in this match. Really, uh, really... I mean, the the X with the ladders, which ended up getting uh, bumped into the uh, crowd and actually kind of bumped the guy in the front row, uh, which I'm not sure how how hard he was actually hit, but uh, and he should have been paying attention. But before that, Marty Skrull dropped Taven onto that X. Uh, Taven took some great shots, and then towards the end, of course, he brings in the purple ladder, which was a great touch. Perfect character work right there. Perfect character touch. It made sense for him to have a hidden purple ladder. And it also made sense that he was putting his body on the line. He just wanted that title so bad. Mm -hmm. He's believed all along that he was the true Ring of Honor champion. So he was putting that belief to the test, proving his belief. And at the end, he came out victorious. And let's talk about one of the other spots you didn't mention. His dive outside, landing on the ladder right on his ribs. Yeah. Right at the beginning of the match. Right at the beginning, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was one of those where it it was a cool spot, but if you're looking at it from a reality thing, it's like, what damage is he going to do to Skrull and Lethal? He's just going to hurt himself. Well, that's why I like to say wrestling is all about suspension (laughs) of disbelief. But you know what it had, this match, that I always worry about in ladder matches? If you look back at Bucks and Hardys from Supercard of Honor in or well, in Orlando area, Lakeland. Mm-hmm. Basically, I was afraid for that match because I thought, you know, ladder matches, you know, that you could have that awkward moment where people walk up the ladder and they're waiting there too long for someone to knock them down. I was worried in that match, but there was nothing to worry about. The Bucks Hardys match was one of the best matches of the year, one of my favorite matches of all time. This match I was worried about the same thing. Didn't have to worry again. It was awesome. Ring of Honor executed it perfectly. Everyone involved just had great timing, and that really flowed, and I loved every part of that match, especially the end. Mm -hmm. So Lethal and Taven are both at the top of the ladder, kind of going after the title. They're both kind of high up on, on, on the ladder. They can kind of reach it. I love how, I think... Lethal reaches for it, and Taven bats it out of the mm-hmm. way. I love that he actually batted the title out of his hand, because you could both you could see that they both were right there. But uh, I liked how they prevented each other instead of just grabbing, like reaching for it, and they couldn't reach it. I liked how he could reach it, but he just got it knocked out of his hands. And then Taven using the title against Lethal at the end. Yeah, that was that was a crazy spot with Taven hitting. Lethal with the belt, swinging it into the, his forehead, and Lethal falling back onto the ladder, which was a hard, long fall. And uh, Taven ends up capturing the title to a chorus of boos, but uh, what a tremendous match and uh, co-main event. Taven finally getting his chan- chance to hold the real Ring of Honor World Championship, not one that he created. I'm looking forward to see what he does and how his character progresses. And I think he's deserved it because he's done a lot of work this year to up his game, to really be one of the greatest heel characters in Ring of Honor right now. And just, he he's always on point with his promos and his character work. Just, I can't wait to see what he does in the future. And the match was great. I can't believe more people aren't talking about it. Well, there's one part of the match you didn't like, and that's when the crowd started chanting Mamma Mia. Yeah, I don't like chants like that because you're chanting a chant that's associated with a different promotion at another promotion that it's not associated with. So to me, it just doesn't make sense. I wouldn't go to NXT and go, too sweet, whoop, whoop, too sweet, whoop, whoop, another company. But again, you know, a lot of people do like that. So if you're into that, that's fine. But I just, it it takes away from me. I'm... When people were chanting Mamma Mia, I'm like, that's not this company. Are you kidding me? We're here for G1. We're here for Ring of Honor and New Japan for Wrestling. It's G1 Supercard, not NXT TakeOver. So let's get to the main event. And uh, it was Okada and Jay White. And this was, uh, you know, right from the get-go. It was so awesome with the entrances and Okada really embraced by the crowd. It really was spectacular to hear the roar for him. And see both the entrances. And this match did not disappoint as a main event. No, it was awesome. I loved the pop that Okada got. As I mentioned, that was one of my top moments of the weekend and week. I just think he's so over. And it's awesome to see him with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship again. I didn't think he'd win it back. I thought there would be some heel tactics. I thought there would be some shenanigans with El Phantasmo maybe debuting. Mm-hmm. And helping Jay White get the win and retain even if it was like some kind of disqualification type of thing. I thought that's what we were going to see. But nope, Okada won and everyone was surprised. Everyone marked out. And of course, they cut off 
his post-show comments mm-hmm. where he was basically thanking New York. I actually got the video of his post-show comments. It's on my Twitter. So go to at SuperKickingIt. Just scroll down the feed a little bit, my profile page, and you'll see it. You mentioned Okada's pop right at the beginning of the match. Red Shoes got a great pop. It was the only match he did, which was a little surprising, but he uh, he got a huge pop and saluted the crowd as well. We were worried he wasn't there. No. We kept seeing other refs, and we're like, Red Shoes isn't here. We, we figured he'd be doing more than one main event, so when we didn't see him, like, for even Naito Ibushi, I was worried. Uh, the end of this match had such a great sequence of counters, too. You know, Blade Runner, Rainmaker, Tombstone, guys reversing it. It was, and the crowd was just on fire at that point because the reversals were so awesome. And finally, Okada hits the Tombstone and a Rainmaker and ends up winning. It was reminiscent of the NXT TakeOver main event with all those near falls Mm -hmm. and how crazy that was and all the you know, sequences going back and forth between Cole and Gargano. Very similar here. And the crowd was just as excited for these back and forths and near falls and stuff. So an amazing G1 Supercard. And of course, we've gone in depth here. But if you want to hear more, definitely check out our immediate reaction right after G1 Supercard that we did at Penzi in New York. And we were joined by Bad Luck Fale. Definitely worth checking out. On Wrestling Inc.'s YouTube and on all their audio platforms as Wink Podcast ROH G1 Supercard Review. So let's uh, move on to a couple other promotions to wrap up this first hour of the podcast and then we'll get to the WWE portion of the show. Our our WrestleMania weekend started with the WrestleCon Super Show at the uh, Hilton in Midtown Manhattan. It's part of WrestleCon if you haven't been a part of it. So there's all sorts of legends around. And so the show started with Road Warrior Animal and Ric Flair in the ring. Great quote from Ric Flair where he says, I've accomplished so many things in my career, but the thing I'm most proud of is what my daughter is going to do on Sunday, headlining WrestleMania. So that's how the show got underway. I thought one of the ma- the interesting moments of this show was uh, the Lucha Brothers coming out. And you and I looked at each other like, do the Young Bucks make an appearance here? And the Lucha Brothers actually called out the Young Bucks. They did. They were like, they're too scared to be here. They started kind of cursing at him, you know, in Spanish, of course. And that was really cool. And again, I thought that they were going to show up right then and there. But nope, no Bucks. And since there was nobody to face them, they decided to face each other. Which, what a dream match that was. Uh, you know, they, they look, I've said it repeatedly phoenix is one of the best wrestlers in, on the planet and i think he's gonna get such a bigger platform going on aew now even more so so that was just a great match if you get a chance to go back and watch that's on the uh, high spots network you can check out that match and you can also check out the main event which was one of your matches of the weekend bandito and osprey yeah, Bandito and Osprey was my number four top match of the week. And you might be asking, well, why did it beat Cobb and Osprey? Well, because not only did I love the in-ring work, but I love the post-match comments by Osprey. Mm-hmm. People forget how great of a talker Osprey is. And he basically was talking about how his mental health has not been well, but that pro wrestling is the best therapy and that he felt so much better. And he called attention to that he was in the ring with one of the best wrestlers on the planet. And he was so honored to be wrestling Bandito. She says a lot about Bandito as well, because we talked about him and Osprey both being MVPs of the weekend and week. 
So to me, just two of the best players in wrestling right now facing against each other. How could it not make my <laughs> list? It was awesome. And the in-ring to me was a little bit faster than Cobb and Osprey, And that's why I liked it. Totally different styles considering Cobb is more of a big guy. And yes, he's athletic and can flip and stuff. But he's also a ground and pound type of guy as well. He, he has both. Whereas Bandito is really fast and high flying. So he's got more of a speed. And that's what I think this match had was more of a, a quick pace. Osprey, you mentioned him on the mic, kind of said, I know we're not Ric Flair, but uh, you know, how about Bandito? This guy is incredible, and he's only 24 years old, and he's one of the best wrestlers in the planet. And he he's like, I can't believe he's only 24. So really, really good stuff. We'll turn the page to Friday and midday. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon was the Rev Pro Show, also at the Hilton in Midtown. And... We scored some last-minute NXT tickets, so we didn't get to see this whole show, and we weren't sure what we were going to see. Luckily, one of the co-main events was in the middle of the show, and it was a match that was your number one, my number two for the weekend, Suzuki and Sabre versus Tanahashi and Osprey. You might be thinking, why is a flippin' tag match your number one, Kelsey? Well, because, guys, it was flippin' incredible. You have no idea. A couple of weeks ago on my show my live shows that I've been doing every Wednesday, one of them's called Either Or, and I had to pick between Suzuki and Osprey. I had a hard time picking, but spoiler, I picked Suzuki. You could find out why by going back and listening to it on my YouTube channel, Super Kicking It With Kelsey, or on my Periscope, Super Kicking It. Again, this match had two of my favorites. I didn't have to choose in a way. I mean, I kind of did because I had to root for one or the other. They were on opposite teams. But in the same time, it's like both my favorites in the same match. My dreams are coming true. And if they set up a one-on-one, oh my god. I can only imagine how incredible it will be. This match, as I referenced when I was talking about my top matches, had everything. It had facial expressions. It had fun stuff because you had Suzuki brushing Tanahashi's hair before he forearmed him. It had Suzuki chasing the ref. <laughs> Literally at the beginning, perfect symmetry so awesome. because he also chased him and attacked him at the end as well. So throughout the whole match, the whole ref part played a role in the match. Well, the thing at the beginning especially funny because the referee is in Suzuki's corner and he's trying to avoid Suzuki and Suzuki's bouncing back and forth on either side of the post trying to get his hands on the referee. It was it was so funny and the crowd was so into him trying to get the referee and even on the broadcast, they were hoping they'd get his hands on the referee. I was like, kill him! <laughs> get him! Murder grandpa! But yeah, at the end, he literally chases him because Chris Roberts, the ref, is like literally leaving and Suzuki jumps over a barricade to go get him and brings him back in. Zack Sabre Jr. holds him down and Suzuki, I think he kicks him. I can't remember, but oh man, it was awesome. We did rewatch this match and like I said, it was even better when I watched it the second time and that's how I knew it was my number one because there was... Literally like four or five exchanges of forearms between Osprey and Suzuki. One of those exchanges resulted in Osprey with a broken nose. And then they used that in the match. Zack Sabre Jr. twisted Osprey's hurt nose as it was bleeding. Suzuki elbowed his hurt nose mm-hmm. as it was bleeding. Awesome heel work. Well, and Osprey tries to fight back and Suzuki kind of rolling his shoulders like, all right, that's all you got kind of thing. So it you know, was so well done and, and you know... We can't recommend it enough. Go to Rev Pro Wrestling On Demand and go back and watch this match. It's well worth it. I mean, look, you've got two pages of notes you wrote on it. I do. It was just so awesome. And it went for over 20 minutes. It was a long match. Tanahashi had the least 
part in the match, but mm-hmm. it's okay because you didn't feel that he was missing that much because there was so much action. Specifically, I feel like Suzuki and Osprey had the most interaction, and I think that was to save Zack Sabre Jr. and Tanahashi. They did have a singles match the next night. This was happening the night before G1 Supercard. So t- to me, I mean, the looks of, of Suzuki alone, like you said, him rolling his shoulders, like Osprey's chops were literally nothing to him. And, and Osprey, though... Manning up saying, come on, give me more forearms, give, give me more chops, Suzuki, I can take it, I can handle it. Just showing you why both of these guys are two of the best wrestlers of all time. And when we were watching it, I said to myself, oh my god, Suzuki is 50? Yeah. He's moving around the ring like he's 20 years old. He's moving at a really fast pace. It's just incredible. And there's this slap exchange near the end of the match, and it's so quick. I've got a gif of it. It's the quickest thing ever, both Suzuki and... And later, Osprey, he gets some shots in, but Suzuki just slapping him, rapid fire pace, quick pace. Oh my God, I just lost my mind. <laughs> and so did the crowd. It was uh, it was an incredible match. You definitely owe it to yourself to go back and watch it. And you owe it to yourself if you're going to WrestleMania weekend in Tampa next week. Make sure you check out some of these other shows, whether it's the things that are going on as part of WrestleCon or whatever else, because it's such an amazing weekend of wrestling. <laughs> And bless you. <laughs> and so it's definitely worth uh, checking out Kelsey's cold coming to fruition. I can't believe you held it for an entire hour. Uh, but uh, we have plenty more to talk about because we've still got the WWE portion of WrestleMania weekend to talk about. And we'll do that when we come right back. St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or a smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So now we start with uh, part two and uh, the WWE portion of things and NXT TakeOver. We didn't think going to New York that we were going to the show. Scored some last second tickets. Got on the train from uh, the Rev Pro show down to Brooklyn. And boy, am I glad we got the tickets to this because I had never been to a TakeOver show. You had been to one before. And this was just from top to bottom a really good show. It was a really good show and most TakeOvers are. Again, the only thing I think G1 had over it was story, and G1 also had some great matches too, but despite the story, the in-ring for NXT TakeOver was really, really, really strong, including with the opening match, War Raiders versus Ricochet and Black. I was surprised that that actually opened the show, but I guess it makes sense, looking back, that it opened the show. Really, a lot of it was all title matches anyway, so it didn't really matter. Right. It was going to be a, a title match opening the show regardless. Right. Uh... The crowd reaction, like, that was, like, 
to me, like, this is the way the show is starting, and the crowd is insane, singing along to Aleister Black's entrance music. Uh, full Throat was crazy. It, it also was funny because this was a theme at WrestleMania, too. The lights kind of getting in the way of uh, people trying to watch the show, and they started chanting to get the lights turned out, and they did. For some reason, even though this was louder... It didn't seem as distracting as the WrestleMania crowd trying to get the lights turned off. And so it was kind of funny, actually. It distracted me. I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't concentrate after that for a while. So to me, I couldn't absorb the match because of the light chance for a while. But it still was really good. You know, we were big fans of, now they're War Raiders, but back when they were War Machine, we were early fans of them. And they are great. Amazing. Really <laughs> dominant champions, too. Uh, I like that they're having a decent run with the tag belts. You know, who's going to beat them now? I, I don't know. But uh, Ricochet and Black seem like they're moving up permanently because they did have a good buy, and Ricochet got a little bit emotional. We didn't see that in person. We were really far up. Right. We couldn't see his face. <laughs> but we did see it when we rewatched it later. But he definitely got emotional, and they hugged him and Alistair. So it, it seems to me, at least the indication from his reaction, is that they're going to be... On the main roster. It's funny, though, because they keep keying them as NXT stars when they get keyed on the other shows, like the, the Raw and SmackDown Yeah, and the stuff. graphic shows them being from NXT. Uh, but they did get their salute and their send-off, so it would seem like they were going up to the main roster permanently. Look, this was one, my match of the weekend, but again, it could be a toss-up. You could throw 10 matches in a hat, probably, and pull out a different number one. So many great sequences. I thought the handspring sequence was really awesome in the ring with Ricochet and Hanson. And then everything going out onto the floor. That's where the crowd really went insane. And, uh, you know, the mutual respect between the teams afterward, too, I think was really awesome. Just everything about this. It was such a great way to kick off the show. And uh, the War Raiders end up retaining the title. We move on to Riddle and Dream, which... Also was an amazing match, and it was, you know, that's one thing about NXT TakeOver. Because it's rapid fire, there are no breaks. You wonder, how is the next match going to follow? And you were surprised at the reaction, first of all, to Matt Riddle coming to the ring. Not maybe as huge as you would have thought. It was a bummer for me for the night that there wasn't more bro chance. I mean, there was a little, like, bro, bro. Bro, the chants weren't loud like they were for Velveteen Dream because people already wanted Velveteen Dream to win and retain. And he did. But I think Matt Riddle still had a great match with him, and that's why it made one of my matches of the weekend. It was really epic dream entrance, which we really didn't see in person very well, but when we went back and watched it, it looked really, really impressive. Very well done. A lot of production value in his entrance alone. I liked Matt Riddle's, you know, custom gear. I thought that was kind of cool. Of course, I don't like the team, but yeah. I just thought it was really a nice thematic touch. But yeah, the pen stripes uh, saluting the Yankees. Something we didn't see live either, but on rewatching it, Matt Riddle is this guy for real. Look, as uh, <laughs> he just gives this look like. A weird smile smirk, but also a look of confusion when Velveteen Dream is getting in the ring with his title. Just Riddle looks confused, but also intrigued. I love that look he gives. Great spots in this match. Uh, you know, Riddle suplexing Dream out on the outside. Yeah, and also he does a deadlift oh, yeah. suplex from 
like he he suplexes Dream from the outside, lifts him over the ropes into the inside. And to me, okay, so we talked about the same move with Abushi right. and right. Naito. Abushi has long since done this move. I told you while we were watching that, I said, okay. Riddle, it's more impressive when Riddle does it to me. I think Riddle's deadlift is way more impressive than Abushi's because if you look at the two guys, Riddle just seems so much skinnier. Yes, he's muscular and fit, but he looks so lanky and skinny. And to me, to see him lift somebody, deadlift somebody, I was like, yes, this is my boy. And the way Riddle kicks out is so beautiful. He just lifts his shoulder, very eloquent. And I'm a big Matt Riddle fan right now. He's in my top five right now. Just... Everything about his character, but his wrestling, too. It's just top-notch. He's, he's a great guy. And uh, throughout the match, there were so many points where it maybe seemed like Matt Riddle was going to s- steal the title. He hits the multiple knees in the match. Uh, you wanted Dream to tap when he did the ankle lock, but uh, didn't end up happening. Dream got out of it, darn it. <laughs> no! Uh, in the end, Dream re- reversed the bro mission into a roll-up for the win. And the the look on Matt Riddle's face was perfect to kind of end the match because they had so many great sequences back and forth. And then Dream seemingly kind of steals it and Riddle's facial reaction was perfect. It was like a look of shock at first, like utter shock. And then it turned to a little bit of sadness, it looked like. And then they showed each other mutual respect. So it went from shock, sadness to respect. I loved the progression of emotions there at the end and... Again, that was more absorbed after when we rewatched it live. It was just cool to see the two going at it, and the reaction was so pro Velveteen Dream. It was really loud in there for him, and that was impressive too. That really stuck with me. But I hope I go to another show where I could see the crowd a little more pro Riddle. Maybe when Riddle's against pro, somebody else. Pro bro. <laughs> yeah, pro bro. I'd like that a little a little more. But Kushida was there, yeah. and he also got a huge reaction. Yeah, that was awesome to see. Uh, obviously, he's going to be appearing soon. I've heard he's made his debut. They, they must have taped him already. He does have his same orange vest, thank goodness, and they did call him the time splitter. But will his gimmick ultimately be the same? Will his wrestling be the same? I have faith that it will be. I mean, NXT doesn't really water down wrestling. It's more when they move away from NXT that, right. that you should worry. But it was great to hear the crowd give Kushida a nice ovation, seeing him there at NXT TakeOver New York. I was worried. Maybe they wouldn't know him. But the NXT crowd is very smart. So they knew him, and thank goodness he got a good reaction. Next up was the NXT UK Championship, and... Uh... We're going to talk about Walter in a PWG Rewind here in a couple weeks. Uh, we've already talked about him a little bit in re- relation to Sammy Guevara, but uh, it was perfect, Walter. First of all, we love Walter's entrance music into the classical uh, classic, classical music that he enters into. That's what we, I'm trying to say. We even looked up the name of the classical song. That's how much we liked it. Yep. It's, it perfectly fits him. I mean... You think to yourself, why doesn't he have like an actual song? Because this song matches him to a T. It couldn't be more perfect for the ring general. Seeing him come down to the ring with such authority, and it was a brutal match. Monster chops. Dave Meltzer, if I should quote his ratings, <laughs> he rated the whole he rated the whole show very high, including this match. He actually rated this match higher than Riddle and Dream, and also the War Raiders and Ricochet and Black. He rated Dunn Walter higher than both of those. But uh, not as high as Gargano, of course, and Cole, but still pretty high. And I thought it was warranted. A lot of people love this match just because 
it was really hard to watch with all those chops and stuff. And <laughs> the one chop of Walter while Dunn's like laid out on the turnbuckle is pretty amazing. And I said to you, I would love to see a Walter versus Suzuki match where they're exchanging chops. How great would that be? Oh man, that would be a very scary match. <laughs> You'd have to look away. There'd be too much brutality in the ring to contain. I just, I don't think you could watch for very long. I love the sequence where Dunn catches one of Walter's chops and and goes to break the fingers. And uh, in the end, Walter with the awesome pop power bomb off the top rope. Could he have thrown Pete Dunn any farther? No, and you don't see him go up to the top very often. No. Mostly he's a ground and pound and chopper. <laughs> but uh, this was powerful ending. Kind of the exclamation point to the end of the match, you know. And we saw a change of hands. Dunn had the title for a very long right. time. Impressive reign. Now we get to see a new champion. And again, just to remind you, we'll be taking a look at Walter's PWG matches. And that should be coming in about two weeks. Yep. Not long. Meanwhile, uh, I'm throwing it out there. I wouldn't be surprised if Pete Dunn is somebody we see in the Superstar Shakeup maybe called up. Or called up soon. I, I actually thought he might be one of the surprises on the... Uh, the Raw or SmackDown after WrestleMania, but there were a few of those, as, as I'll talk about in closing out the show. Let's go to the women's match, which you had ranked in your top five and said it was the best women's match of the weekend. I completely agree. Uh, even though the WrestleMania match maybe had the bigger scope of things, this match was so good between Baszler, Io Shirai, Kyrie Sane, and Bianca Belair. Yeah, I'm saying that it was the best wrestling of all mm. the women's matches. I'm not saying that it was more historic or anything. Of course, it wasn't more historic than the women main eventing. That was special. That was a special moment. But in terms of match quality, this NXT match was much better, in my opinion. I mean, Baszler, to me, might be the best heel, not only of all the women in WWE and NXT, but maybe in all of WWE and NXT combined. Because she is so terrifying. She just plays like a smarmy, scary heel so well. And it's believable. It seems like it's her. Also, I never mention in all of our talkings about her how much I love her theme song. Hmm. Perfectly fits her. Really catchy. Just... I loved all of the entrances. Another thing that people might not know is that Bianca Belair... She makes her own ring gear. So some impressive things uh, about her, her athleticism. She had some great spots in this match. I think she looked way better in this four-way match than she did in her one-on-one with Baszler. So Bianca, to me, shined in this match a lot in terms of her athleticism. She was, you know, she was uh, pressing people. Mm-hmm. And she was also, she was throwing people all around. Like, talk about how she had both Kyrie and Io right. on her shoulders, and she threw them down. That was incredible. Yeah. What a feat of strength. Yeah, you don't see that uh, from the female side that often unless it's somebody like Anaya Jax or somebody that's huge. Belair is just so strong and, you know, pressing people. And, you know, we talked about the Bandito doing something like that. That was off the top rope, so maybe a little more impressive. But the way B- Belair slammed Shirai and Kyrie Sane together, that was tremendous. It was, it was awesome. Also, you know, Belair lifted, I think it was, was it Io or Kyrie? I can't remember. Oh, gosh, yeah. She lifted her straight up in the air and tossed her outside of the ring. She threw her. So, literally, that was insane strength to me. She she basically extended her arms fully up in the air with her, 
you know, holding her in the air. Yeah, that, impressive. Was, that was EO that she threw over the top rope. And then, of course, she did the uh, hair whip with her. You mentioned her own ring gear. She actually had EST in like sequins in her hair, which was kind of cool to see in the braid. But she got that whip, which, you know, left a mark on. I can't Baszler. Re- it cut Baszler in their first one on one match. And then this time it cut Kyrie. It was Kyrie. Yeah. On I couldn't remember back. if it was Kyrie. Kyrie was or, up yeah. on the turnbuckle. And I believe Bianca. Uh, Belair whipped her and it kind of got more of her back. So when Kyrie was on her back, you could see a, a real big red mark from the hair. But uh, Shayna Baszler uh, gets the victory and ends up holding the belt, even though in the video package she says, I've gone through everybody and now they're throwing three people at me. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with Shayna Baszler. Yeah, to me, like she's so dominant. I'm wondering who can beat her now. The only thing I think they've left open this second is that EO and her have not had a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the next direction they go in, and that could very well be, and it could work out very well because I could see EO being a great champion. But the longer you go, she's feeling very Asuka-like with her mm-hmm. dominance, and rightfully so. I just think she's such a great champion, but at the same time, she's facing all the top people you've built up in the NXT women's division. Who's going to be the person to ultimately beat her? I don't know. Let's move on to the main event, which was really... It, it started a little slow, I thought, for my taste, but uh, the last half hour of this match was as captivating a wrestling as you could have between Gargano and Cole, but these are not your favorite kind of matches, me neither, with the two out of three falls. Two out of three falls, I, I honestly think that's my least favorite type of match ever. Sometimes ladder matches... I worry about, like I talked about earlier in the show, but all the time they wind up being great and entertaining. A two out of three falls most of the time, and I'm not saying, you know, five out of five of the times it's like this, but four out of five of the times it's this. So one fall goes to one person, the next fall goes to the next person, they're tied, and it comes down to the third fall. Yeah, recently we did see the opposite of that. I believe it was on the main roster where somebody got two falls in a row, which was very uncommon. But most of the time, it's one fall, one fall, and then they have to break the tie at the end. And that's how it played out here. And I'm just not a fan of this type of match, in my opinion. It's always been my least favorite. And we talked about a similar type of match, but a more entertaining match. The uh, the Ziegler versus Seth Rollins. That had, like, a different outcome. Uh, you know, that was a, an Iron Man match. And those are the ones we kind of like more. Because that is how many pinfalls you can get in a certain amount of time. And that can go any way you want it. Again, Ziggler and Seth Rollins had that great one where I think Ziggler started out fast out the gate. And you thought that Rollins couldn't catch up, but then it got more even. Of course, that was ruined by the crowd (laughs) and the counting down and the bumping as the time was going up. So that was ridiculous that the crowd kind of messed up that match a little bit. But yeah, I'm more of a fan of an Iron Man match versus a two out of three falls match. Similar in a way, but different. The entrances were awesome, especially the everybody doing the Adam Cole baby. Again raucous. Surprising reactions in the sense that people were mostly behind Adam Cole, including booing Gargano at some points, and that I don't think came across on the broadcast as much the boos, but he did get booed at some points. No, the crowd there, now granted at the end they they gave Gargano a huge pop, but during In the match because the match was great. During the course of the match, Adam Cole was certainly the fan favorite there. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, people wanted Adam Cole, and they just he's so charismatic. But having said that, he's actually not my favorite wrestler, and that's why this didn't make my top matches list. It started slow. I'm not. 
I've always been a fan of Adam Cole's character, but his wrestling has never been my favorite of all, you know, I much prefer somebody like Riddle, even Gargano. Gargano can't have a bad match. No. So to me, Gargano's the better wrestler in terms of having a more exciting moveset, having more exciting matches. But Cole did well here, and I, like the near falls at the end really oh is God. what made the match. It in was my insane. Opinion. It was so loud. Yeah, the crowd went insane, <laughs> including us. I mean, they. They got me a few times. Oh, yeah. And Adam Cole, something that he did wonderfully in the match was his facial reactions. Remind me of Suzuki. They were so such extreme reactions, but uh, it was warranted because he couldn't believe Gargano kept kicking out. Yeah, and it was uh, tremendous the way they ended the show, too, with uh, Candace coming down and celebrating with Gargano. Uh, they walk up the ramp, and with their back to the uh, the the video screen, Tommaso comes out. You wonder if he's going to attack Johnny Wrestling, uh, and you could see Johnny's mouth. He's behind me, isn't he? And that that was a cool moment, and them all hugging. And, you know, it was a really feel-good moment because obviously these guys have been through so much together, and for Gargano to win the title was pretty amazing. And, uh, look, I thought it was a great show. It was a great show, and actually it ended. You didn't see this because it went off the air, but Gargano ran back in the ring Hoisted up his title one last time. He even put it down on the ring mat and he, uh, the canvas, and he bowed down to it, kissed it, and or held it up again. And people cheered for him one last time. That's on my Twitter as well at SuperKickingIt. I've got video of that. Wasn't shown on the broadcast. Cool stuff. Cool exclusive content that you can only get at SuperKickingIt. So let's get to WrestleMania. The reason everybody was in New York. Long, long show. Mostly good. But uh, they've, I mean, let's just start there. They got to they gotta condense this show a little, don't they? I mean, I, I see people talking about it being two nights, like Wrestle Kingdom's going to be. Tell me your thought on them doing that, or just condense the show. Just condense the show. Wrestle Kingdom's one of the best shows of the year. It's five hours long. You can do a five-hour show, and I think that's still a decent amount where people can hold their attention. You don't have to have all this pre-show stuff. I, I like how you've said it. When we went live right after Mania in the actual building at MetLife, you said, you know, not everyone has to be on the card. WrestleMania used to be a special thing where people earned their right to Mm -hmm. be there. And yes, I know WWE likes to reward people and just put them on the show to have them be included. It's a big payday. But I feel like if you have it be a little more exclusive, then you're, you're solving multiple problems in one. You're upping everyone's game because they want to work to be on WrestleMania, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're also shortening the show. So to me, it would work in multiple ways. I don't think two nights would work in a in a way because it would be hard for everyone to travel to two different shows. It would be terrible for the non-WWE shows running around it, which WWE would love, I'm sure, right. to make it more difficult for them to run. But as a fan, I would hate it because to me, I go to WrestleMania weekend and week more for the other matches than even WrestleMania. Having said that, you and I are kind of in the minority. Everyone is giving this show an A. Some people even an A+. And we've got to spoil it right here. This is where we're going to get some dislikes. <laughs> And again, it's constructive criticism, and we have a different perspective. Yes, we rewatched a lot of it from home, and some of it looked better, like you referenced earlier. Shane and Miz was actually better on TV. But having been there, some of the stuff wasn't what I expected. And you can't discount some of the reactions and some of the experiences we had while watching live. We just can't 
throw that away and not count that in some of our perspective. But to me, it's a B show, B plus maybe, but B. Yeah, I, I had it probably as a, a B after the show, maybe boosted up to a B plus, but certainly it was not on the level of NXT TakeOver or G1 Supercard by any means. So let's, obviously, there are a million matches. We're not going to go through all of them. Uh, let's start with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar starting the show, which I thought was kind of a cool way with uh, Heyman coming out and saying, hey, if we're not the main event, we're getting this over with now. I liked it, and upon rewatching it, it felt longer than it did in person. In person, I was like, that was quick. That was too quick. You know, I'm not really a fan of the quick turnaround, and what I mean is Brock Lesnar working over Seth Rollins for a long, long time, and then Seth Rollins quickly turning around and winning. Yes, it took multiple curb stomps, but still, I thought it could have been a little bit longer of a comeback for the ultimate win. And of course, he did use heelish tactics to win, although I said I had a problem with it. Bully Ray justified it on his show, Busted Open Radio, saying that usually babyfaces don't do that type of thing, but in this case, it's warranted that Seth Rollins pulled out those heelish tactics because of all the terrible things Brock Lesnar did to him, like, you know, all the F5s that he did a couple of months ago, etc., etc. It was warranted. So to me, that justification makes a little more sense, makes me like the match a little bit more, but I just wish it was longer overall. Yeah, I do too, but uh, congratulations to Seth Rollins. I said it at the beginning, one of the moments of the, of the night was 80,000 people screaming, burn it down as he came to the ring. It's important to note that our... Our talk and criticism is mostly based on match quality as a whole, match length, not just the moments. There was a lot of great A-grade moments. I'm not saying that the moments were B-grade. I'm just saying that the match quality, you know, wasn't my favorite in some aspects. Not in all, because there's some matches that I thought came off really great, especially on TV. Not so much there in person, but... uh, We'll get there. I, I'll have a lot to say about Batista and Triple H that I thought was much better than a lot of people are giving it credit for, but uh, let's continue on in order. Well, yeah, and and this is the one that, to me, capsulated that I didn't appreciate this match at all live, Orton and, and AJ Styles, because there was a huge distraction in the crowd. You can kind of hear it as we went back and watched it on the broadcast. WWE had these bright yellow lights that were shining, you know, because they wanted it to look red and yellow or orange and yellow in the crowd. But these bright yellow lights were shining directly into people's eyes. And so the whole first two thirds of that match is the crowd. We can't see, turn the lights out. And finally they did. And it was funny because it it happened right as Randy Orton was kind of hitting a key move in the show. And so it seemed like the crowd was cheering for that when they were really just cheering that they had turned the lights out. So sitting there, we didn't absorb this match at all. Not at (laughs) all. I can't even tell you one thing that happened when we saw it live afterwards. So distracted by, turn that light off. I mean, it was constant throughout the match. And I know the the lights were bright and terrible, but I mean, it took away from the match itself. And I hate that for the performers, but I understand because everyone paid a lot of money to be there to see the matches, not to have a bright light shine in their face. So I understand in a way, but at the same time, it sucks for the performers. And apparently, I didn't notice this, but someone told me, they tweeted at me and said, Kelsey, did you see on Raw that Randy Orton was mocking the light situation? (laughs) And I was like, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, apparently he did that uh, actually on SmackDown. I'm sorry, on SmackDown, that's what uh, I meant. But yeah, it it was was certainly distracting. 
and it took away from our enjoyment of the match and watching it back on TV. It was a much better match. You said some of the matches could have been better. I thought the SmackDown tag team match was really good, but that's one of those matches that if it was on another pay-per-view, and part of this is I'm so into tag team wrestling, I think, right now, as you can tell. You know, my top two matches of the weekend were tag team matches. I mean, and you love the Lucha Brothers so much. <laughs> yeah. You're really into tag teams yeah. right now. So, I, look, there were some great moments in that SmackDown tag team match. But I think if that was the main event of a pay-per-view, that could have been a 35-40 minute match. Cause oh, yeah. They're, all four teams in that match are really good. Maybe. Cesaro's swinging was insane of Ricochet. Poor Ricochet. Iddings, your friend, was like, I would have barfed all over the ring if that was me. Yeah, I mean, I counted it, and my, I'm not saying my count was completely accurate because obviously they were switching camera angles. Live, I thought it was like 50 times. It turned out it was about 32 times. And then Ricochet hit went to hit a 630. Uh, but Misses. The, yeah, and so, so in the end, the Usos end up retaining the, the uh, title with a double splash, but that's the kind of match that, again, could have gone a half hour, 40 minutes if it wasn't sandwiched in WrestleMania. Shane and Miz, I'm, I don't want to talk too much about this match, uh, but live did not do it justice for us as opposed to watching it on TV because you can't see a lot of what's going on live. Yes, but the only part that did look better live than when we rewatched it was the fall from the platform. I mean, because we had a direct eye line with the platform, and boy, did it look far. <laughs> like, yes, they, they had that really cool shot that you loved when we rewatched it. Like they're home. falling off a cliff, yeah. Yeah, it looked like they were falling off this cliff, and you couldn't see what was beyond the cliff. That was what was cool about the shot. But in person, we saw it from the other side, the opposite angle, from their backs, kind of. And so when we saw it from that angle, you saw the full platform and their fall we didn't even see the landing and that's what made it scarier and i think that's what made it better seeing it live than on camera but one thing we didn't see live that we saw on tv was when oh Miz my god yes threw shane off of the golf cart which i'm sure he was supposed to just land on the roof of the golf cart but he bounces down onto the cement floor that was insane he almost like he sold the 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 getting hit onto the golf cart and i think he sold it too much to where he bounced off and that's why he landed <laughs> on the cement just Somebody actually commented, we'll read that later, someone commented about his selling on that. It's insane. And I just couldn't believe he wasn't hurt after that. And surprisingly, Shane kind of rolls his arm over and ends up getting the win despite being uh, suplexed off the camera platform. I'm going to segue into something really quick. This is one of the only things I'll talk about, about, uh, I think it was SmackDown that it happened on. Everything's melding together right now, so sorry <laughs> if I'm getting the shows wrong. But So, you know, Miz has that long thing with the announcer just for nothing to happen. Shane, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Shane, <laughs> oh, see, what I'm, see what I mean? Everything's getting mixed up. So Shane has that long thing with the, with the ring announcer on SmackDown, mm -hmm. and then nothing happens. He just announces that he's the best in the world, mm -hmm. finally. And then Shane's like, okay. And leaves. Yeah. We thought that there'd be some kind of development after that. We thought that at least somebody would come out or or that something bad would happen to the ring announcer because apparently there was threats like something bad's going to happen to you if you don't change. Right. It's the best in the world. Then nothing happens. Right. So what was all that for? Yeah. I don't know. That was my only segue that I'll, I'll go into SmackDown about, but I didn't like that. Uh, so Shane wins, and then the women's tag, the Iconics, get the victory. But let's move on to the moment of WrestleMania, I guess. Kofi and Daniel Bryan. Oh, yeah, I thought that match was the best, and to me, I guess that would be my favorite part of WrestleMania, because the moment was great, but the match was great, too. However, having said that, 
I do think their Elimination Chamber meetup was better because there was more mystery and it was very fresh, their meetup. Then they, they faced multiple times since Elimination Chamber, including this WrestleMania match, but still, I'm not taking anything away. It was still really awesome, still well done, and Kofi with the big win, which is the best. Our friend Mark Blutman, who's co-executive producer and writer from Boy Meets World and also Girl Meets World, he actually was DMing me during the show. And he, he actually agreed with us for the most part during the show, saying that it felt more like a Raw or SmackDown, less like a Mania. And he could not believe that after Kofi won and they revealed the belt, that the belt already had Kofi's nameplates. Of course, he's kind of like the old school mentality of kayfabe, you know, kayfabe's dead and he's right. upset about that. But he's right. There shouldn't have been plates on that. Even though we know that Kofi was chosen to win, I think it would have been better if you saw him get the belt without his nameplates on. That way you could see the nameplates being put on you know, as a special thing later, and there'd be more of a mystery and more of a, okay, we didn't know who was going to win type of thing. Well, see, I don't, I, I'll take a differing perspective on that in that I, if that was the only belt, then that I agree. But since if Daniel won, he was going to keep his hemp belt. And if Kofi won, he was going to get the real belt. So I, I didn't really have a, a huge problem with that. I guess that. you could see it that way, too. Yeah. That makes sense as well. But still, I mean, just leave the plates off of it. I love, by the way, the Daniel Bryan stomps. Those those are great uh, thing that he's added. But then Kofi turns the table and does it to Daniel Bryan. And uh, really a great moment. Like you said, it was emotional. And uh, his kids being in the ring and everything about it was just such a cool moment. We all teared up. There's many videos online of people going crazy, people crying. And it meant a lot you know, socially, it meant a lot politically, it meant a lot in a whole bunch of different ways. I mean, there's a video of MP V MVP, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> MVP crying uh, when he was watching it. I think he was at some bar, or maybe he was backstage, I don't know where he was, but he definitely was emotional, and it means a lot culturally that he won, and I think it does a lot for the morale backstage, seeing somebody who's worked so long and so hard finally get, I think, what he deserves, because... I don't know, he's always delivered in everything he's been put in and everything he's been asked to do, he's done. So to me, props to Kofi, well-deserved, I'm so excited. But I know, I mean, we had this argument the other day, not argument, but we did. We disagreed. You know, B-plus player isn't good or bad. People are now saying he's an A player. I always thought he was an A player, but you said being a B-plus player isn't bad. And it just means you're a steady guy. Right, that's what I think. But uh, he he was an A player on, uh, on the... Biggest stage of them all at WrestleMania. So then you wondered what was going to follow that. Samoa Joe quickly beats Rey Mysterio, although we find out Rey Mysterio is hurt. So much like the Dalton Castle thing, just a quick entrance for Rey Mysterio, who was uh, who was injured, so he couldn't perform. And then after that, Roman and Drew McIntyre. Not much there, although Drew McIntyre's entrance with the bagpipes was awesome. I do think that Roman getting booed a little bit, we heard the boos. I mean, I was I was in the concourse getting uh, concessions, getting beer, and yes, I heard the boos from, oh. from that area, and that was far away. So to me, there was boos. People might be surprised, but I heard rumors that's why they kept him off Raw, because traditionally the uh, Raw after Mania crowd is kind of intense right. and vocal, and that they thought they were going to get booed again, that he was going to get booed, and so they kept him off. Well, and look, you know, no matter how you feel about it, you know, that's kind of a return to normalcy, right? To me, <laughs> I like it better because people aren't, 
just being sympathetic to him. They're treating him like normal. Right. Because you can like the guy, but still dislike the character. And that's where I'm at. I like the guy. I'm glad he beat cancer, but I don't like the character. And I'm not really a fan of him being a main eventer. Just because I'm not a big fan of his wrestling. That's right. just me. And to each his own, if you guys love his character and love his wrestling, more power to you. I just <laughs> don't personally. So it was kind of like a return to normalcy. I don't think there's anything wrong with booing him if you're booing the character and not the guy. So to me, it's okay. Because they're playing characters, you know? Right. That's what they're doing. And that's what we're there to see a show, to see a story play out. And I'm, I'm booing a character I don't really like. And that's all I'm doing. I'm not booing the guy the playing person. the character. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> So to me that was surprising because people at home might not have heard it as, right. as vividly. And it was it was dead during that match. Not not very much excitement really in uh, MetLife Stadium during that. Followed by Elias, which uh, highlighted his talent as he as he uh, had his one man band and he was interrupted by John Cena and Thugonomics, which. You use the line, funny but ridiculous. It is, but it's like, why did he return? I mean, apparently backstage he explained why, but I didn't watch that video, so I don't know the reasoning, but I don't know. I just don't understand why didn't he interrupt Angle or something. That would have been cool because didn't wasn't it Thugonomics era Cena that mm-hmm. debuted against it Angle? Was. It was. So wouldn't it have been full circle for him to kind of run in and maybe even save Angle? Or, like, to hurt Corbin. Yeah. Then it would be almost be, like, full circle in a different way. I mean, instead of being against Angle, he would have helped Angle in his retirement. And Angle could have gone off and still had the great moment and you suck. But maybe people were afraid that that would take away from Angle. Probably. Which I could yeah. understand. But it just felt very random for it to be in the Elias segment. But I know tons of people loved seeing Thugonomics Cena back. <laughs> he had some great lines for sure. All right. Let's move on to... A match that at MetLife Stadium did not resonate with the crowd at all. But we both think this this was one of the top matches of the show. I think it's the second best match behind Kofi and Brian, Batista and Triple H. My two favorite matches, like you said, Kofi Brian, Batista, Triple H. And actually, you know what's funny is Raj and Glenn and people, they went live after WrestleMania and they said they actually thought it was a little too long. And they're like, does Triple H have in his contract that all of his <laughs> WrestleMania matches need to go at least 30 minutes? It was too long. To me, I loved it. I thought it was a decent street fight. I thought the nose ring spot was done so well. It was gross looking. <laughs> uh, and that's just a testament to how well they executed it. The finger spot with the wrench was awesome. Very the, well done. The chain. You know, when we watched it live, I thought, all right, well, Triple H is hitting the table. He hit Batista with the flipping chain. He really hit him. And the crowd was dead. From where we were, it was dead dead silent and that's a shame batista's retirement match come on i know i'm a batista lover and i'm biased but still no reaction there was reaction to the entrances i guess we should talk about those those were both really cool some people are saying well this wasn't triple h's best entrance and that's fine it probably was not i mean he's had so many epic ones but they both were pretty cool they were really cool like i said i think it Triple H's would have been cooler if it wasn't just a big screen behind him. And we didn't even talk about that. Least favorite WrestleMania stage ever maybe for not, me. Maybe not ever, but... That I've been to live? Yeah, yeah. live? Okay, I've, yeah. Out of the four manias I've been to live, this was my least favorite stage setup and my least favorite mania overall. Just because of the crowd reaction, the length, and some <laughs> the, other things. The fact that we paid $300 and, and one-third of the ring was blocked off by the support poles for the lights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we've been to... Let me just say the ones we've been to. 30... Then we were at 
33, 34, and this one 35, and you were at 17 in right. addition to those right. that I just named. So 17's a really great <laughs> one to be at. Of course, it's not better than 17. But a 30 to me is very special. That's one of my favorites. But even the Orlando one I loved. I loved Orlando. I even loved the one here in the stages. I mean, that mask that was a screen for our, our mania for 34 was incredible. Why couldn't the, the screen look like something? Why couldn't they have, like, a Statue of Liberty uh, screen or something? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was supposed to capture, like, the, the big screens of Times Square and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it didn't seem like it was a lot of anything. But the match itself, really good. I thought uh, the the table spots were great on the announcer's table. The the power bomb of Triple H, Triple H did on Batista where he bounced off the steps. Oh my God, that was brutal looking. And yeah, Batista might have been moving a little slower, but he is older and, you know, he hasn't been in the ring in a long time. And for not having been around for a while, I think he did great. I thought he looked great. I, I think he looked great too, except when he stumbled in. <laughs> Going in, into the ring. Yeah, and I saw that live because you didn't notice it, but I no. did. I was like, you didn't see him trip just then. <laughs> no. And you could tell he had a smirk like, oh man, I can't <laughs> believe I just tripped in the <laughs> ring. Like, going into the ropes. That was ridiculous. Poor Batista. But I loved, I didn't notice this, but he had like a a stare down with Triple H's dad. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that know was that. Triple H's dad. No, I didn't either. So that was pretty cool. Also too. with Shawn Michaels. I didn't like the commentary. I thought they just kept going on too much about how Triple H is still a bad guy. And <laughs> he's still a sick son of a gun. Or, like, come on, we get it, Shawn. We get it. Whatever. But still, it was kind of cool to see the interaction between Triple H and Shawn Michaels and then Batista and Shawn Michaels. Lots of cool interactions with that. Ric Flair provides a little distraction and Triple H ends Batista's career, who had a nice post on social media about what WWE meant to him, and so that was pretty cool, too. I know we've been going long on this segment, but I just want to have a final say about Batista. People say he's not the best wrestler, and he's not. He's even said that, and that's one of the reasons why I love him. He said many times, I know I'm not the greatest in ring, but I've got a passion for the business, and it's something I've always loved, and you know, I worked really hard to try to do it, like, even later in life. He was kind of like an older wrestler. So to me, I respect him greatly because when he came back, if you talk about last time he returned around WrestleMania 30, I've been lucky. I saw the two times he returned, 30 and now 35, his retirement match. So both times, you know, he he was around to the build, but even more so, if you look back at 30, he was doing house shows then. He believed he wasn't like Brock Lesnar, and he very well could have been. He could have barely showed up. He could have literally done a video package and then only showed up at WrestleMania, but he did the work. He did the promotion. He cares about wrestling, and he's been vocal about how he thinks wrestling should be a little more non-PG. He always thought that it should be, like, really visually stark and stunning and He's always been critical of WWE and has never held back. I just love how honest he is. I love how I think he he's a little bit humble because he says that he's not the best wrestler, but he still loves what he's doing. And to me, that's what makes Batista my one of my favorites. And we've t- talked about throughout the build to WrestleMania that some of the build wasn't great, but they they set in motion little little hints that this match was going to happen. Uh, you know, six eight months ago, a year ago, so. I thought it delivered. I thought it was the second best match of the show, and it was really entertaining. It wasn't as much so in person because, again, the crowd wasn't into it at all. But watching it again on TV the other night uh, really was pretty amazing. Now, one thing that was awesome in person was Kurt Angle having his farewell. 
He loses to Corbin, which I know people are upset about, but it's the right thing. It is the right thing. As I said, leading into our, you know, our journey to WrestleMania and some of our pre-show podcasts that we've been doing for the last few weeks, I've been saying, you know, Kurt Angle keeps winning against the main roster guys. That's not the right move. Usually, when a guy's retiring, he puts some young talent over on the way out. And that's what he did at WrestleMania by putting Corbin over, but still he got his special moment, and Corbin, you know, left, and Angle was left to, to have the you suck chanted at him, and he said he wanted it chanted at him, but one of the best signs of all of WrestleMania, someone holding up, and I teared up when I saw it, and I saw it in person too, it said, you never sucked, and I'm kind of getting emotional just thinking about it now, because he's literally one of my favorites of all time, he might be my number one favorite of all time, and I was lucky, because I am a newer fan, so when I started getting into wrestling, I actually watched older stuff on the network before current products. So I watched Batista, I watched Angle, I watched Stone Cold, I watched Triple H. I didn't know who Daniel Bryan was <laughs> when I first started getting into wrestling and when I went to WrestleMania 30. So I was sitting there rooting for Triple H or Batista in the main event of WrestleMania 30. And the same thing is, uh, I thought at that time I would never see Angle wrestle. I was like, got into this as a later fan, Angle's you know, not wrestling with WWE, I'll never see him. But I was able to see him, like, starting with Orlando with his induction and stuff. I was so excited that he was kind of brought back into the mm. fold. And, yes, he's not the same young Kurt Angle, but still really special for me personally because I thought I would never get the chance to see him live in a WWE ring. And that's been uh, a check that's, you know, a little box that's been checked off for yep. me. got to see him last year at WrestleMania. Of course, I had mentioned I was a little worried about how he would look in this match at WrestleMania because he had not looked great on the Raw or SmackDown, but I thought he accounted it for himself pretty well, and that was a good match against Baron Corbin. He looked way better in this match. I give it to him, and Corbin worked well with him, I gotta say. All right, about wrapped up here, Finn Balor, the Demon, great entrance as he beats Bobby Lashley. That's the only thing I remember about that match <laughs> is the entrance, and it was awesome, but well. people don't like the tongue sticking out thing. How I didn't notice that, of course, live, but going back and watching it, he keeps sticking out his tongue, and it, it's very odd. The Finn Balor powerbomb on uh, Lashley was pretty darn impressive. Let's get to the main event. Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda. Charlotte reprises an entrance that her dad did, I think they said it, at Starcade or one of those, well, coming in in the helicopter. Thought that was really well done. Ronda Rousey comes out to Joan Jett playing Bad Reputation. That was awesome yeah. live. Oh my God, I loved that part. But you know, people were antsy and I could feel it. Mm-hmm. I could feel the antsiness in in the arena, in the crowd. It was insane. I, I can't believe that that was so palpable. But you could definitely tell. Some people even left right after the entrances, including Becky. You know, Becky comes out. There was loud Great cheers. Great sing-along, yeah. Yeah, but then that was the loudest they were the whole match, yeah, in my e- opinion. Yeah, even at the end, yeah. Yeah. It, uh... It, uh, look, the crowd was drained from it being too long. As we found out a few, few minutes later, people were also trying to get on the trains to get out of there, which was a huge problem. Uh, the match itself, I, look, I thought the uh, Ronda bouncing off the apron to the floor, I thought that was quite a stark spot. That was my favorite spot of the whole the whole match. I love that. That was brutal. Uh, the and- don't ever criticize Rousey. She's willing to do whatever it takes. I like her, and people are like, she's the worst. <laughs> well, you know what? She takes bumps like that. I respect her. Charlotte doing the Spanish fly off the top rope was amazing, but the ending is the big thing. Uh, I thought, one thing I thought, watching, this was a match that I thought was better on TV than I thought in person. Me too, because all I could think about was leaving. Right. And, and the crowd. Yeah. And so, re-watching it, it felt longer. 
is right. something I observed, and it, w- it felt better. Because I thought there wasn't that many things that felt notable, but I, I was wrong. Because looking back, there was some good stuff. Like you said, the, the Spanish Fly by Charlotte with her height. Yeah. Come on, her height is so impressive that she was even able to do that. Well, and even the ending, when Ronda Rousey picks up Becky Lynch live, it looked like she was really struggling to pick her up. It didn't look as bad on TV as she was u- using the ropes to help her up. I never really felt that bad about that, even in person. I know you had a problem with it, but I didn't think it looked that bad, even in person. And then the ending, uh, Ronda's shoulders clearly weren't down. So I don't know if that's setting up a future showdown or if that was a mistake. I've heard that Vince quickly called for something to end the match. I heard that um, the ref messed up yep. on accident and it wasn't supposed to end that way. Because uh, it did feel abrupt yeah. as heck. It was odd for sure. And Like Becky looked legitimately surprised and Ronda looked surprised. And maybe that's great selling. but Ronda looked angry. Yeah. But I mean that of course is the reaction I guess she's supposed to have regardless. But she stormed off and people are saying that it was because there was a mistake. And it wasn't supposed to end that way. But um, yeah, I, I'm surprised it wasn't longer. And that the finish, you know, wasn't more kind of definitive, to be honest with you. But another thing I, I want to address quickly, speaking of women, is we didn't really talk much about the tag match. I didn't think that was very good at all. I thought it could have been much better. You know, the Iconics right. won. Apparently, Sasha Banks is upset. Yes. She's on vacation right now. There's there's rumors that she wants to quit because she was promised that her and Bailey could have a long run with the tag titles and make them mean something. And apparently she was told late that they'd be losing to the Iconics. So I don't know how how much this is true, how, how much truth there is to all this, but apparently she's not happy and she might want to leave. And but I, they said to, to, to cool down and think about it, so that's why she's on vacation. I don't, I, look, I don't blame her. I wanted to see Bailey and Boss have a run, you know, the, where they were going to face people on SmackDown and even in NXT. So I'm a little disappointed in that. Uh, we should comment before we wrap up WrestleMania. We've mentioned it a couple times, the train situation. This is a big controversy from WrestleMania is uh, how long it took people to get out of the stadium after New Jersey Transit stopped running trains. And if you've never been to MetLife Stadium, it's not like other stadiums where there's bars around. People can go do something after Everybody's trying to get out of there, and that was a huge mess. You know, we were actually lucky. We got out reasonably quickly, if you can call an hour and a half reasonably quickly. There were people that were still stranded at that station at 3, 3.30 in the morning when the show ended at 12.30. Thousands of people stranded, and it started raining. It was miserable. My feet were hurting. No one knew where to go. It was disorganized. Such a mess. Uh, You know, apparently we were told... NJ Transit is trying to blame WWE. Apparently, WWE was fined for the show going over. Now, you know, I don't know how true that is, but that's what we heard from pretty good sources. So, I don't know. I don't think the fault is really very much with WWE. They projected it would be a seven-plus-hour show. Right. Everyone knew that going in. I think it's more the NJ Transit should have had a backup plan if they did go late. I mean, really, there's only a half an hour or an hour window to where there's trains and then no trains? Right. To me, that, that's absurd. So the Uber charges, not only did we take a train and go to another station, but then no other trains were going to where we needed to go and not going to where a lot of people needed to go. So people were paying, luckily, we only had to pay $20 because we got it before the surge. But our friends, Talkamania from Canada, they had to pay $200 fees for Uber. They had to pay a $200 Uber, and that's on top of their $300 tickets. And how do I know how much their tickets were? Because they were on the road we were, (laughs) and we paid $300 per person. They had four people there. And that's on top of them waiting a really long time 
regardless. So Yeah, they didn't get to their hotel till 4. We got back to our hotel at 3.15. Right. So three hours after the show, they got to their place four Almost hours. Four, yeah. 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 So, but overall, great weekend, a lot of fun. Uh, and so now we uh, go to you to get some of your moments. We asked everybody what was your best match from each show, maybe some moments as well. And so we're going to read through those. We've got a bunch to get through, so let's get right through through it. We'll start with at black underscore Baymax 8, TakeOver, all of TakeOver, uh, G1 matches, Ibushi, Naito, Tajiri, uh, Bandito, and uh, Lee, Cobb, uh, Ospreay, Okada, White, uh, G1 moments, uh, Yanu stealing the tag belts, Great Muda in the Honor Rumble, and in Mania, Kofi Bryan, AJ Orton, triple threat match, and uh, Triple H Batista. So, so Batista and Triple H getting some love there at least. But not narrowing it down to one, unfortunately, on each one. Uh, at the Real Grizzle, Walter Dunn, Powerbomb, that was awesome. Adam Cole was amazing. The finish to the three-way ladder match was uh, spectacular. Ibushi and Naito trying to kill each other. Jeff Cobb and Osprey. The Iconics, Kofi's match, Finn's match, and Becky's win. So lots of people shouting out, just before we get into all this, Kofi and Becky, but really tons of people show, shouting out Kofi. Over 40 of our responses had something to do with Kofi. <laughs> As well, they should have. At Deej Kirkby, NXT match, War Raiders versus Black and Ricochet, one of the best tag matches in a long time. NXT moment, the crowd eating out of the palm of Adam <laughs> Cole's hand. Mania match, D. Bry versus Kofi, great story and best match on the show. Mania moment, Thugonomic Cena return, literal goose pimples. <laughs> <laughs> All right, at Sir Weaselton, unpopular opinion, but I think Walter and Dunn had match of the night. Hard hitting and nail biting. G1, my boy Naito, even though he lost his match with Abushi, but it got me too hyped for the G1 to kick off in Dallas. We're going to that show too. Couldn't be more excited. Then he says, WrestleMania, Kofi and Brian put on a magical match. Very good word to describe that match. At Justin Hartling, NXT, basically all of it, but but Ricochet's reaction after the tag match had me in the feels. Supercard, Okada, simply Okada. WrestleMania, Shane bumping like he was shot in an 80s action movie when The Miz hit him with a tiny monitor. I love that. And that's what I referenced earlier. Somebody was saying he was acting right. absurd after being <laughs> hit by that monitor. Uh, at Zalanthus89, favorite match for TakeOver was the tag title match. G1, definitely the latter match. And WrestleMania, all matches were legit, but Seth squashing Brock and Kofi versus Debray were a tie for him. Uh, at Hardcore Logo, NXT absolutely loved Walter Dunn. It felt like a legit fight. G1, Jay White, Okada changed my opinion on Jay White. That's an interesting take. And he explains why in a moment. Uh, Closing the uh, cluster, you know what, with women kicking everyone's ass was a wonderful touch, and I thought it was fantastic. That was, of course, about Joey Janela's spring break. Right. And then uh, Kofi winning the belt was fantastic. Then you responded, cool list, how did Jay White and Okada change your mind? And he said, I wasn't a fan of Jay White going in, but his work in that match, just how he clicked with Okada, made me a fan. It was very well done. I love that. So his opinion changed because of that match. I think that's so cool how a match can change somebody's perspective. And that's just a testament to how well done that match was. At Headlock Talk, all of TakeOver, half of G1, half of WrestleMania. At Zombie Army Craig, for me, there were two big ones. First, True Kofi winning the WWE Championship in 10 years overdue, 
or is 10 years overdue. He was ready in 2009. What a great take, because he's long deserved it. Second, he says, the return of the Doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena bringing back the character that made me a fan of him in the first place. At Quaz Quent, Miz versus Shane, way better than I expected it to be. At Ashley D3910631, Kofi's win, and the moment was the highlight. Those people were crying and jumping with joy. Also, the screaming was unbelievable. Yep, we mentioned that. It was emotional. At Mr. Dose 2, I hope I'm not too late. I love seeing Yano steal the IWGP tag belts, which we mentioned we didn't even notice in person. Vintage Sublime Master Thief. Master Thief. I also love seeing Velveteen Dream Riddle's undefeated streak, or end Riddle's undefeated streak. He's improved so much over the past year, and the best is yet to come. That's a very true statement about Velveteen Dream. He keeps getting better and better. But why at the expense of my boy, <laughs> my bro? Oh, well, I know bro will still continue to rise in the ranks of NXT. At KOPW72, Cole Gargano, incredible match, maybe one of the best matches I've ever seen. Kofi Bryan, damn good, and Kofi's moment was incredibly special. Becky Charlotte Ronda, exhausted crowd and wonky moments, be damned, still special and damn good match. Believe it or not, I have yet to see G1, which is surprising because they do a New Japan podcast, King of Pro Wrestling (laughs) podcast. At WR underscore Central, I haven't watched NXT yet, maybe tonight or tomorrow. We'll see how tired I am, and boy am I tired. G1, Okada winning. Okada got one of the loudest pops I've ever heard, and one of the loudest for winning, too. And WrestleMania, of course, he says Kofi. Moving on, at Black underscore Baymax 8, the entirety of NXT TakeOver, uh, the Triple Threat IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match, uh, the match itself, Cobb versus Osprey, Yano stealing the belts, Kofi, Becky, and Seth winning their respective belts, Triple H's Mad Max entrance, and Cena's Thugonomics return. At BC Mendoza, the entire NXT TakeOver card, ZSJ, Tanahashi, Cobb, Osprey, and Ibushi Naito were my favorite parts from G1. As for Mania, Murphy and Nice was a kick-ass match, Kofi winning, of course, and Becky two belts and the iconic tag champs. And at AJ Pan underscore PCA, Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole was one of the best main events I've had the chance to see live. It literally had me on the edge of the seat till the finish, which we agreed that last half hour was spectacular. That was my favorite part of the match. I mean, it got so intense and nail-biting, and that was so awesome to see live. At Beers and Bumps, Mania, he loved the John Cena moment. Takeover, the entire show is great. And G1, actually haven't watched it yet. Hopefully he has by now. <laughs> At Real FN Game, Johnny Takeover becomes Johnny Champion, and despite the botch finish, Becky Lynch going from the man to the god to the champion. <laughs> At N-A-C-H-O-C-O-A-L-M-I-N-E, I will never forget the ladder falling into the crowd during G1. <laughs> as soon as Lethal touched it, I knew what was going to happen. As far as Takeover and Mania, the Velveteen Dreams, Lady Liberty entrance, and the moment Becky got the crucifix pin on Rousey. At TRK725, Muda in the Honor Rumble. Johnny Wrestling winning the title was special. He was a regular at our local indie seven or eight years ago. So that was special personally for Tim there. Always a cool thing to see somebody you watch kind of start out, become what 
what they became. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that that take. At AA Talk Stuff, Kota Ibushi is my favorite wrestler. I've seen New Japan multiple times live, but never seen him. Finally saw him this past weekend when he finally won the IC title. First match I ever saw him was when he wrestled Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom 9 for the IC title. Poetic and so dope. Uh, at Texas Kid for Life, Seth Rollins finally winning the title that's eluded him and ending Brock Lesnar's reign of terror. I don't care how he did it. Did not like, not like he didn't do anything Lesnar's never done, which that is true as well. As we referenced earlier in our review, at Psycho Nigiri, NXT tag title match was the highlight of the night. G1, the juniors three-way was crazy fun. And WrestleMania, Kofi and Seth winning made my day and even happier to be a wrestling fan. Great takes, Nate. At R-O-D-D-E-R-S-E-C-F-C. Gargano versus Cole. Best match of the weekend or year. At Wrestling underscore Real. Jeff Cobb versus Will Ospreay. War Raiders versus Ricochet and Black. Walter versus Pete Dunne. And Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston were his favorite matches. At Hajirio Art. At Hajirio T.O., War Raiders versus Black and Ricochet was excellent, and anything not involving Enzo and Cass, he enjoyed. <laughs> I like that. At Chibi Halloween, TakeOver War Raiders versus Ricochet and Black and the women's match, which, as you mentioned, was in your top five. Supercard Flip Juice and Haskins Street Fight against Bully Ray and Company Liger and the Great Muda being in the Rumble, obviously part of it as well. Mania. The title can be finally seen on TV again, which is a big deal. Triple H and Batista, glad giving some love there. And Styles versus Orton, honorable mention. Impacts United We Stand, Tessa Blanchard versus Joey Ryan, Jimmy Havoc versus Sammy Callahan, and the Lucha Brothers versus RVD and Sabu. I want to see I want to see those matches really bad, especially Havoc versus Callahan. I know they've matched up before, but I'd like to see it. I heard that uh, the show had terrible production. I heard that from Dave, but we'll see. We might check it out. I don't know. It depends on how much it is. Yeah. So we go to our friend Warren Hayes at Mr. Warren Hayes. Two... Uh, to uh, take over, you mean Riddle versus Dream and Johnny finally reaching the top of the mountain. G1, Okada winning the IWGP for the fifth time in the tag team four way. WrestleMania, <laughs> Kofi, Kofi, Kofi. He's just chants Kofi a lot of times. And uh, his friend Crazy Din Dale says, I was going to say the same thing as you, Warren. At Upper G-W-L-A-D-Y-S-B-L-U, NXT, Gargano versus Cole, Velveteen versus Riddle, G1, Naito versus Ibushi, Okada versus White, and also seeing Muda square off versus Liger. WrestleMania 35, of course, Kofi winning. At Smart to Death, take over Walter's music playing while Pete Dunne mourned the loss of his title. Fantastic moment. The roar of the crowd when Liger's music hit was his favorite from G1, WrestleMania, Kofi winning the WWE title. And then at Raider2402 responded there. These were all great. Also take over for the false finishes in the Gargano-Cole match with the crowd going nuts. And Muda appearing at G1 was also super cool. Then we've got Good Guy Dave at Dave Pazeski. My favorite match from TakeOver was Gargano Cole. Told a great story and very suspenseful. TakeOver was my favorite event of the weekend. Favorite match from WrestleMania was Kofi Bryan. Great match. Felt meaningful. Favorite match from G1 Supercard was the main event. So many great matches, but the main event kept me on the edge of my seat. There were a lot of great moments from Mania Weekend, but my favorites came from WrestleCon and the WWE Hall of Fame. At WrestleCon, 
It was the Hurricane and X-Pac and Jushin Thunder Liger versus The Revolt. I recommend people find the match because it greatly honored Liger. At the WWE Hall of Fame, the DX speech was fantastic, and I will always love DX from the bottom of my heart. And, and that is a good point that uh, the match involving Thunder Liger was from the WrestleCon Super Show, and uh, Sean or X-Pac had a great speech about what Thunder Liger meant to him after that match. Uh, at little uh, S A M O or Samsonite, <laughs> little Samsonite, yes. Uh, Okada versus White, first rainmaker that landed, had me jumping out of my seat. I went to forty hours of shows, and this was my number one moment. Naito Obushi blew some fuse in my brain because I couldn't even cheer. Just spent the whole match with my hands over my mouth. And David Starr versus Lucky Kid was his match of the weekend. 40 hours? I applaud you, my friend. That's insane. That's awesome. At J. Greensy, Kelsey just found you after WrestleMania, and you are awesome. Thank you. That's really nice. <laughs> Velveteen match was Bananas. Kofi match number two. At NYC underscore heel for NXT TakeOver, Dream versus Riddle was great. I agree with you, my friend. For G1 Supercard, definitely Abushi versus Naito. For WrestleMania, Kofi versus Brian, of course. Like I said, tons of people mentioning Kofi, and we ha- here we have another one, Ashley, at Ashley D3910631. Kofi, 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 hashtag Kofi Mania. At Dave and Anderson or Dave Anderson 718. I liked Brian versus Kofi, Adam Cole versus Gargano, and I also liked Alistair Black and Ricochet versus the War Raiders. At Stay Crossed, I got emotional when Kofi won, so did a lot of people. At Whovian PBT, Takeover was the best of the three. I liked all of the matches, the other four more than the women's four way. Gargano Cole was epic. Supercard was my least favorite. Oh man, come on. <laughs> IWGP Junior Heavyweight match was my favorite. At WrestleMania, the match of the night for me was Kofi Bryan. All right. Uh, at Zim underscore is underscore all right. NXT Champa coming out at the end. G1 PCO power bombed over the top rope to the floor, which we mentioned was one of the most jaw-dropping moments of the weekend. And WrestleMania Kofi, shout out to the Iconics. At Matt WO23, Kota Ibushi versus Naito and Will Ospreay versus Jeff Cobb were out of this world. At Project Zack, only the three big shows. A lot of my favorites were from the others, which is fair. We... We, we only included the three big shows because those are the ones that most people saw the most of, but we're glad that people went to so many of the independent shows and watched those as well. TakeOver was a great all-around show. Really loved the War Raiders match. Supercard, I loved Naito Ibushi, Okada White, and Ishimori Bandito and Dragon Lee. WrestleMania, I really only liked the niece Murphy and the Kingston and Bryant. Someone who agrees with us. And then he went on and I told him he could list his other <laughs> matches from the other shows. He said, I can't stop thinking about Bandito Osprey at WrestleCon Super Show. That whole show was great. The Joey Janela GCW stuff was amazing. Bloodsport was fantastic. Tessa Blanchard slash Ricky Shane Page was really good. The last match from Pancakes and Pile Drivers 3. Well, and you said we're going to probably go back and watch that Bloodsport match, something we're looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, Suzuki versus Josh Barnett. I really want to see that for sure. At Spider5786, Cole versus Gargano at TakeOver, Okada versus White at G1, and of course, Kofi versus Brian at Mania. Again, over 40 people said Brian and Kofi in their answer, or at least Kofi. So at D-A-R-B... M-I-N-E, loved the send-off Black and Ricochet received after their takeover match. Rollins defending 
defeating Lesnar in short order, the Iconics winning the women's tag belts, Kofi Celebration, and Becky closing the show. Sadly, didn't get to watch New Japan Ring of Honor shows. Then, at Ricky Spurs 101, pipes in, the women's match was a mess, but I did pop for the Iconics. I expected one or the other, but I'm happy to see them pull the trigger on Kofi and Becky. At MNCVKG, War Raiders entrance slash respects to Ricochet and Black slash Gargano finally wins. Muda in the Battle Royal. Never saw him live before. Never thought I would get to. Great point there. Mm-hmm. Neither did I. Kofi winning, obviously, was a great moment. Numerous people in my section were legit crying. All right, let's continue on. At Slate underscore S42, TakeOver New York, Gargano versus Cole, Walter versus Dunn. G1, Okada versus White, and Ibushi versus Naito. WrestleMania, Kofi versus Brian, and the Doctor of Thuckonomics. At Bolshoi, B00ZE, Pete Dunn versus Walter. Thought the outcome broke my heart a bit. Uh, the Iconics winning the tag titles, Kofi winning the WWE title, Ryder and Hawkins. Come on, love it. And the New York crowd did love that as well. At Hunter A. Yates, Cole Gargano was the greatest NXT match I've ever seen. Tag team title match was also amazing. G1 Supercard, Matt Taven winning the Ring of Honor title. Also, the entire ending sequence to Okada White was epic. You know, it's not my favorite takeover match because I love, I'm a little biased, I love Sami Zayn versus Nakamura. That will always be one of my favorites of all time. You can't deny that's a great match. I've seen it over 12 times. Amazing match. It's literally one of my top five favorite matches of all time. So to me, that's the best NXT takeover match, but I respect your opinion. And it was a great match with Cole and and Gargano for sure. At NJURICAN861. My favorite was Rollins versus Lesnar because Rollins won. At J... P-O-C-H, baby, Kofi winning the title at Mania, Okada winning the title at G1, and watching Tessa Blanchard wrestle two times and win over the weekend. She is in the future, she is the future in women's wrestling. At S-P-O-O-N-Y, W-A-N, I kind of like to... Uh, I kind of liked EO and Kyrie's baseball spot from TakeOver New York. Yeah, that was funny. I, I thought that was a really fun touch there. At A-L-E... J-O-F-I-N-T-E-N underscore G-N-R. He just has a gif of Mrs. Dad in the ring with his fists up. It looks ridiculous. It was ridiculous and pretty funny. Uh, At Jui Guy Zakaria, uh, Gargano versus Cole, Kofi versus Brian, Miz versus Shane, Styles versus Orton, Gargano, Becky, Kofi, Seth, Balor as champs. Those are the moments. And Black and Ricochet saying goodbye was uh, too emotional. At Ricky Spurs 101, I haven't seen the G1 yet. For the rest, my favorite match was Dunn versus Walter. It was just a war. Yes, it was. Takeover was perhaps the best wrestling show of all time, so it was all good. Loved, loved, loved Heyman's opening promo and Seth versus Brock. It all worked so well. At Bradley 8867, Usos match. Iconics winning Kofi versus Bryan. At underscore primetime Dre, NXT, he liked the Gargano Cole match and the NXT tag title match, and WrestleMania Kofi versus Brian easily was his favorite. At King Trey, 1023, to NXT TakeOver, Cole versus Gargano, G1 Supercard, Abushi versus Naito, WrestleMania, the return of Thugonomics Cena. I'm surprised how many people are recognizing the Thugonomics thing. People as one love of their it. Favorites. It's, yeah. it's nostalgic, and, and people like that version of Cena. Uh, at Ram Jam, 
Uh, last fall of Gargano versus Cole. Kofi's face after beating Brian Okada, taking back his throne. Great moments. At R.I.E.P. Tide 1999. Seeing Muda and Liger share the ring at MSG. Walter winning the UK title as uh, Drovac's New World Symphony played. And the entirety of the WWE Championship portion of WrestleMania. At T-S-C-H-E-T-I-N, NXT TakeOver, Riddle versus Dream Match, G1, PCO Entrance, and Okada wins the title back, and WrestleMania, John Cena and Becky Lynch. At Spirit Powerbomb, uh, at TakeOver, the farewell for Ricochet and Black, and the reunion of Ciampa and Gargano got me emotional. Dunn versus Walter was one of the best matches I've ever seen. At G1 Supercard, Okada, the ROH ladder match was one of the best matches this weekend. And WrestleMania, the Demon returned, Seth, Becky, Kofi winning. I like that another person shouted out the ROH ladder match. I like that it's getting some love. Some love. Uh, at BK, the great one. Takeover, Dunn versus Walter, Gargano versus Cole, Black Ricochet versus War Raiders, Riddle versus Dream. So basically every match except the women's match. Oh, I like the women's match. <laughs> G1 Super Show, Osprey Cobb, Bandito, Ishimori versus Dragon Lee, Okada White, Taven Lethal, Skrull, and the Battle Royal, WrestleMania, Rollins, Lesnar, Kingston, Bryan, and Nice and Murphy. Uh, at, yeah, underscore Dats, underscore me, Walter, and Kofi. At Jack Sun Rhodes 61, NXT TakeOver, Gargano versus Cole, of course, and the tag match. G1 Supercard, the entire show, best I've ever seen. WrestleMania, Kofi Kingston winning, and Triple H versus Batista. Yay, Triple H and Batista again. Brittany at Kirk, Kirkby. Wait. Kirby? Oh, it's Kirby! At Kirby Pinky 23, NXT, War Raiders versus Aleister Black and Ricochet, the standing ovation the the latter received at the end, Pete versus Pete Dunn versus White. Oh my gosh, I can't speak anymore. Pete Dunn versus almost at the home or the finish line. <laughs> Pete Dunn versus Walter. Johnny Gargano winning the NXT championship. And at G1 Supercard, the three on three street fight, the three-way junior heavyweight match, and Naito versus Abushi. Uh, WrestleMania 35, Shane versus Miz, Kofi versus Daniel Bryan, Kofi winning the championship and the celebration after, SmackDown tag team match, like you said, and the women's main event. At Splatter 87, the most iconic moment was the crowning of the new women's tag team champions. My sincerest congratulations to Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, so well deserved. At OGBC Gonzo, War Raiders versus Ricochet and Black, best match of the weekend, I concur. At Man for WWE Ladies, how much of a masterpiece NXT TakeOver was. Not one match stood out because it was like the night got better and better. Epic storytelling in the ring. Less is more, in my opinion, or in my view. Cole versus Gargano, The Miz, Shane Spot, Kofi Mania, and that's from at May and Man 1. At Joe Cook. Five War Raiders Dash Wilder's KO Punch and Thugonomics. Of course, he's referring to the KO Punch at the Hall of Fame where Dash punched that guy who attacked Bret Hart. Rightfully so, everyone rushed in and tried to beat him up. That dude was trash. Piece of trash. Yeah, absolute garbage. And uh, really sad that that guy tried to make the moment about him, but uh, he got his uh, going into the ring with a bunch of wrestlers surrounding it. At Chris... D-Y-A-S-81, Adam Cole versus Gargano was awesome. At Ray J's World, the ending of the Shane McMahon-Miz match, 
The fall was crazier than Kurt Angle throwing Shane through the uh, plate glass window. Heck yeah, Miz can do his own stunts. It's funny because that King of the Ring match he's referencing with Shane and Angle is one of my favorites yeah, of all time. Say, yeah. it, it's it's in my top five, but um, yeah, that fall was really reminiscent of something crazy like Shane going through the gra- the glass. In terms of Shane taking an insane risk, especially at an older age, I can't believe he did that. And how much longer can he continue to do these insane WrestleMania spots? I'm I'm against him doing any more. Yeah, again, it's it's one of those things that takes a spot away from. Uh, the, your actual in-ring talent, as good as Shane is, uh, we don't really need to see it on a regular basis. At PTB 1978, the Riddle Dream Match was incredible. Riddle's offense is very unique and fluid. I like to see him wrestle Daniel Bryan, which is an interesting take. Dream is extraordinary. I love your take. <laughs> <laughs> At Matrobe uh, 90, not just the best wrestler in the world, but also the best of the last decade, constant M-O-T-Y candidates match of the year, of course, that means. Uh, year after year, stories are incredible. Music is incredible. Really one of the best to ever do it. And he's got a picture of Johnny Gargano. So if you're wondering who he's talking about, that is who. So at Brian Bosco, or Basco says, the American meme, and he's got a meme of Velveteen Dream. <laughs> at H-O-B-E-R-T-C-1-3, from Impact, he liked the Ultimate X. Didn't watch NXT except for the latter part of it, of the main event, so no opinion. From G1, both the Ring of Honor and IWGP title matches also enjoyed the Honor Rumble. At WrestleMania, he enjoyed Randy Orton versus AJ Styles, best match for both, then Ronda versus Becky versus Charlotte. At Hunter A. Yates, again, he's saying his WrestleMania picks now. WrestleMania, seeing Kofi win the belt is a really great match. It was awesome. Also, the surprise of Rollins-Lesnar being the first match was really cool. Honorable mention, seeing Ricky Morton hitting a destroyer <laughs> at Joey Janela's spring break. I went crazy when it happened. Also, our good friend Jason Spann, he also told me about that. He said, you've got to check it out. And we will. Uh, last couple here at Mr. Bagshaw. Finally got around to watching some of the New Japan after... Talking about giving it a try for nearly a year. Loved the two matches. Was totally into it. Even though I didn't really know the wrestlers. I really think... uh, I think this was the push that I needed to start watching some, not all, New Japan great stuff. Awesome, Graham. We converted you. (laughs) Yes, it's awesome. We've been telling Graham about New Japan for so long. And it's so cool that he finally really liked it. And of course, he was talking about the last two matches really had him invested. At Demo Photography, Gargano winning the belt at NXT, Kelly Klein winning the Women of Honor title at G1, that's the first mention of that, and Mania, Becky winning both belts. And finally, at Official Dregs, when Muda entered the Honor Royal, I was happy AF. So, good stuff all around. Thanks. I think that may be one of uh, our biggest participations ever in viewer feedback. Thank you all very much. It was an amazing weekend for sure. It really was, and I liked all the comments. I know we read all of them. We could have picked out some, but I liked how different they were. And I liked how, even though the ones that had similarities, you could see kind of like a pattern. Of course, so many mentions of Kofi. Like I said, there was a lot of mentions of Becky, but there was a lot of mentions of Triple H and Batista. So I thought it was a cool uh, survey of so many people to get their thoughts of what their favorite moments and matches were and lots of variety. Well, and, and that surprised me. Yeah. You know, we mentioned, somebody mentioned the women of honor championship, people talking about stuff from Joey Janela's spring break. It really is an amazing weekend. If you get a chance, like I said earlier to go to WrestleMania, 
don't just go to WrestleMania. Check out all the other shows because there's so much going on and it's so much fun. Really, like I said, WrestleMania week is more than just about the actual, you know, biggest stage of them all. It's it's more than just the the showcase of the Immortals. It's about all the things that happen around it. And there's a lot of camaraderie, too. I wish we would have had the chance to meet up with a lot more people. We did get to meet up with Simon and our friend Josh, thank goodness. But a lot of other people we missed meeting up with, we did sit next to our friends Talkamania, which was crazy because it wasn't planned. And they tweeted out, okay, there's 80,000 people here, and what are the chances that we're sitting next to Kelsey? (laughs) And and then somebody responded, well, one out of 80,000, unless you (laughs) planned it. (laughs) And they were like, we didn't plan it. So I thought that was really cool. And we didn't really get to talk to them too much because we were kind of absorbed and I was a little grumpy from our seats. <laughs> I gotta say, I was a tiny bit grumpy, but overall, it was a fun experience and I love seeing the entrances. You know, I want to take away that the entrances were awesome and to wrap up, I think the WrestleMania discussion and a little bit of the weekend, you had a great tweet, I think, that summarized it all and I kind of agree with everything you said. Uh, this is uh, as we exited the show while we were waiting for the train for an hour and a half. Final WrestleMania thoughts from the perspective of being there. Seats, $300. Third of the ring blocked, ridiculous. Entrances, amazing. Moments, Kofi, Seth, Angle, incredible. Match quality, decent but not great. Show exit to New Jersey Transit, a nightmare. And then overall, the weekend, including NXT and G1, it was awesome. So Expensive, too, though. And expensive. Yes. We'll be feeling the repercussions of that. It'll be a lot cheaper in Tampa next year. That's I'm already sure. feeling the repercussions now. <laughs> unfortunately Uh, all right our longest podcast since we've been doing this i think so it's time to uh close out the show and send them home what do you got well i want to look ahead next week we're going to be going to the movies it's two-faced literally goes to the movies we're going to be reviewing a couple of wrestling themed some of them are documentaries and one's a film of course the the film about page we're going to try to check that out so we're going to try to to review all of those next week plus um, we're going to be doing a pop and wrestling connection about TV shows recasted with wrestlers. It could be the title change with something to do with a wrestler, or it could be, you could cast a wrestler in the actual show. So, and speaking of TV shows, the final part of your interview with Mark Blutman, the producer of boy meets world that will be in the show. Not a lot of wrestling content next week. So it's going to be more of an entertainment thing other than talking about the oh. super superstar shakeup wrestling and entertainment yeah. it still goes hand in hand oh yeah so, of yeah. course of course uh quickly i'm going to close out the show by talking about the raw and smackdown after wrestlemania definitely the most disappointing one of those that i have seen since uh it really became a big thing you know the one after wrestlemania 30 kind of was the the gold standard where the john cena sucks chance came and uh page debuted and beat uh, AJ Lee this year's incredibly disappointing. I think WWE kind of did themselves in with this because they already promoted a bunch of NXT people. So Lars Sullivan and Lacey Evans wasn't really a surprise. Yes. Undertaker was a bit of a surprise and Sami Zayn coming back, but they kind of ruined that by showing him backstage instead of just letting his music hit. I can't believe they did that. Why not just let his music pop and like people would, would go crazy. But uh, the point is, they really messed up this Raw and SmackDown after Mania because you'd already promoted the NXT guys and the Superstar Shake-Up as next week. So it really was kind of a letdown. You know, really the the signature moments were the Hardy Boys winning the tag team title and the mysterious video of this chicken bird. 
People uh, think it's Bray Wyatt. Could be, probably, probably is, but uh, certainly reminded us a little of Marty Skrull, too. The umbrella on the box, and then this weird chicken-looking thing where he does the chicken wing. I mean, I don't know. It was, it was all very odd. So, a, fu- a couple of good moments, but overall very disappointing uh, for the Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania. But wasn't disappointing is the four and a half days in New York. It was a lot of fun. I hope you had as much fun with it as I did because it was pretty incredible time. I had fun except for getting sick. I mean, like I said earlier in the show. Yeah, stop getting so close to me. You're going to get me sick. New Jersey and New York messed me up, man. It was crazy. <laughs> but I did have a lot of fun. And thank you, Paul, for taking us on the trip. And that's it for us. I hope you enjoyed our really extensive recap <laughs> of the week. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Tweet at me. Tweet what you thought. And uh, that's it for us. That's the finish. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.